0: reproduction, or other use of this broadcast or podcast without the express written consent of Spaced Out Radio, Spaced Out Weekend, or Spaced Out Radio Limited is strictly prohibited. Listener discretion is advised. Game on! Are you experienced? From high atop the mountains of British Columbia to you listening around the world, this is Spaced Out Radio with host Dave Scott.
1: Dave, oh Dave, are you playing with those big-footed aliens
0: again? You can follow us on our website, spacedoutradio.com, on iTunes, and tune in. Follow Dave on Twitter at SpacedOutRadio. On Facebook at Spaced Out Radio Show, or on our YouTube channel Spaced Out Radio Show. Just to
2: be there with you, for
3: you.
0: The password is.
3: Alright,
4: alright, alright. Hey, mom, put down that pussy stick.
0: Buckle up, space travelers. It's time to go for a ride on Spaced Out Radio. Mr. Bumblefoot, Dave is ready for liftoff.
2: 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1.
3: Captain, prepare for launch.
4: Good evening and welcome to Spaced Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott, and it's good to have you along for this new ride on this new week. Wherever you are in this great planet we like to call Earth, we are live right here in Uncle Jimbo's cabin. Right here in the great white north on this Monday night, early Tuesday morning if you're on the East Coast or over in Europe even Australia. Let's welcome in everyone listening in on SpaceOutRadio.com, on Spreaker, on the United Public Radio Network, Renegade Talk Radio, the High Plains Talk Radio Network, and on Revolution Radio as we do this thing every night of the week, rocking in and out of every show, thanks to our resident guitar god, Mr. Ron Bumblefoot Thal, formerly of Guns N' Roses, currently of Art of Anarchy. Bumblefoot is the official sound of Spaced Out Radio. Hey, if you're a social media junkie and you want to give us a follow, you can do so on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. Give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. On Instagram, you can follow me at Dave Scott, S-O-R. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Find us on TuneIn, download our shows from iTunes, and of course our website is SpacedOutRadio.com. Hey, if you want to take part in this show, because we don't take phone calls... You will have to sign into one of our chat rooms, either on Revolution Radio, on Spreaker, on the UPRN chat room, or on Facebook at the SOR Space Travelers Club. Or if you're on Twitter, just use the hashtag SpacedOutRadio. I will get to your questions in there as well. If you go to our website, it's time for you to sign up for the SOR Space Travelers Club. It's only five bucks a month. And with that, your name gets entered into monthly prize draws. You get access to private group interviews, access to a special section on our website, and much more. Hey, we're going to give you a hell of a lot more than just access to our archives. While on our website, you can read up on my latest blog, check out Eric Markham's SOR Spacewire for your latest and weird news. And if you've had a sighting or an experience you can't explain, our researcher, Mike Schmidt, is waiting for you to fill out an SOR sightlines report. We want to welcome in everyone listening in on our newest affiliate, Renegade Talk Radio out of Las Vegas. Yes, we are live in Sin City. We also want to thank everyone listening in on our affiliate, the United Public Radio Network on 107.7 FM in New Orleans. And their listeners from over 160 countries around the world. Good to have you along for the ride. And remember, if you're listening in on Revolution Radio, the Double R Machine is a donation station. Financed by you, the valued listener, head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today the out-of-body experience in astral traveling is something many people connected to their spiritual self and conscious try to accomplish why well I'm gonna be honest I have no idea never done it myself kind of scares me and I sure don't know what it feels like though but for many it's a way to get into being one with their higher self Graham Nichols is our guest tonight he's an author and the director of the out-of-body and near-death experience society in the united kingdom he's also pardon me he had his first obe in 1987 since that time he has combined cutting-edge technology and in-depth research to further develop his abilities graham first came to public attention as an installation artist exploring psychology and consciousness through specially designed technological environments the largest of which was exhibited at London Science Museum in 2004. If you want to learn more, and I highly suggest you do, you head on over to Graham's website, grahamnichols.com. That's Nichols with two L's. We bring in Graham all the way from Estonia tonight. I guess for you, it's today, Graham. Welcome to Space, Space Out Radio. How are you?
5: I'm great. Really nice to be here. Thank you
4: it is very good to have you along for the ride as well because we love getting into these topics we really do we talk probably way too much aliens and bigfoot but when it comes to out-of-body experience and astral travel it's just something that is just so unique and so unknown let's learn a little bit about yourself you said you had your first experience in 1987 previous to that did you know what it was all about or what happened leading up to that event
5: um I was quite young in 1987 so I don't have too much memory of uh of what was leading up to it. I'd had a few experiences of other what you could call I guess paranormal type experiences when I was younger seeing an apparition when I was around 5 years old. Um also some maybe something along the lines of reincarnation type memories, things like that. So I had that alignment in in myself, you could say, but I wasn't um, I wasn't specifically focused on the outer body experience. And then in nineteen eighty seven I had a series of a few brief out of body experiences. They didn't last long. They were just fleeting experiences. And really that was when I started to look more into it and find out that there was such a concept as out of body experiences. And that was really the beginning. I then spent six months learning how to induce them myself.
4: Was that something that you grew up having to find out on your own, or was it something that you could talk to your parents about growing up?
5: Um, I pretty much was on my own. I came from a very um, working-class, ordinary London family, um, There was no religion, as is the case with many British families. Um, There was no interest in anything spiritual or alternative. So um, pretty much I I had to go out there and find books, uh, get things from the library. It it was really going out there and researching as much as I could find. And that, that was how I slowly pieced together that there was an entire body of knowledge on the subject. And then by the time I was about 15, I managed to come across an esoteric lecturer in London who was teaching astral projection. And I I basically became, uh, I worked for him and he became like a mentor to me. So that was kind of essentially another stage in, in the process early on.
4: Having to do that on your own as a kid, and I'm going to say you're probably a teenager in 1987 or just starting your teenage years, how difficult was that for you? Because when you're experiencing something strange while heading into puberty, heading into your formative teenage years, which can be tough enough on their own, that had to be extremely difficult for you.
5: Um, Yeah, I I think, especially from my background, like I said, it was a very ordinary, very working class background. The school I went to, um, people weren't very used to such concepts as our footy experiences and things like that. And at the beginning, I didn't hide what was happening to me. I didn't. um, I I, I was just very open about it and described the kinds of things that were, were happening to my friends. So. Some people were actually quite fearful at the time. Um, I was never particularly fearful in myself, though I guess there's often an assumption that it was strange or particularly fearful for me. but I think that in many ways, because i'd had those experiences right from the beginning um the apparition and the the sense of uh that I'd maybe lived before and things like that, i didn't feel particularly frightened or or like there was anything unusual in a a sense about these experiences. They seemed very much a continuation of what I'd already been experiencing to that point. And then when I met the esoteric lecturer, um, his name was Douglas Baker. Um, When I worked with him, it cemented in a way the fact that it seemed quite a normal thing to do somehow. I mean, it, it's, it's funny looking back at it, but at the time it felt very normal because it's all I'd known. I was a young teenager and my whole life there had been this uh, dimension to what I was doing and, and to what I did in my life, um, which I guess wasn't there for many other people, but it, it still seemed quite key to my identity.
4: So going through into your late teenage years, into your 20s, were you developing this ability faster and faster? Were you researching almost all the time in between high school and possibly college courses? Or did you kind of push it away like most late teenagers, early 20s do because you want to establish your own personality and persona in life?
5: I, I was very much focused on the out of body experiences. I didn't push it away. Um I I I basically became more and more obsessed with the experience, with the research. I read pretty much every book that was available at the time and and just uh worked almost every day on developing it. I I would work at, uh, during the night at the time, and then during the day I would study these kinds of things, and uh, amassed a huge collection of books on the subject. So it, it was really my main focus, and pretty much has has remained like that since. I've I've always had a real passion for this area, and it hasn't really altered that much in in my life. It's it's uh, one of the most fascinating things in. In the world in, in in my eyes, so it 's never really been a factor that i felt that I've needed to go too much into something else and the thing is, I think with something like this it 's so expansive and so multi layered and so many questions that need to be answered, and so much that hasn 't even been touched upon if you like, I think there's so many esoteric ideas out there that don 't really have any basis to them and They're probably no better than a lot of the religious ideas that we have. Um, So really, I want to get beyond that, and I want to say I want to use more of a a truth-based approach and try and actually find out what might really be going on rather than just going with the assumptions of what people have believed for centuries, etc.
4: At what point did you start taking this seriously, Graham?
5: Um, I guess I started becoming more scientific about it when I went to university um it It started to it started to bring me into contact with skeptics and people who were a bit more um analytical about their way of thinking and maybe w- didn't just accept these kinds of things on face value. so I think at that point I started to be more serious about my research and started to think, okay, I need to evaluate these things in a more objective way um luckily right from the beginning I started to keep a a diary of of my experiences so um that was in about 1990 I started the diary so I've got a consistent record of my experiences going from now back to 1990 basically so um that gives me a lot of data and a lot a lot to work on and a lot um, to reference when I'm thinking about the experiences and it's also a good way of overcoming the fallacies and the problems that people can get into because of confirmation bias or forgetting things or not remembering exactly how the experience was years later I can go back to my diaries and I can check the, the, the facts of how the experience was at the time So I think that's really when things got more serious. It was at the the university time when I had to defend myself to some degree from the the skeptics at university and tutors and things like that.
4: Did you find it easy to find information because you're doing this in a pre-internet world? And you are studying your butt off. The Internet is still new and innovative, uh, heading into the 90s. We're all trying to figure it out and what it's going to bring for the future. So how did you do your studying? You must have spent a ton of time in the library.
5: I did spend a lot of time in the library. I Also in London, I guess one of the advantages of growing up in London, there's a lot of great secondhand bookshops. Uh, there were two very close to me that... Had quite a good amount of esoteric books coming through um, because of the I think certain areas of London have maybe a, a tradition of that um, where I grew up was not too far from the philosophical society was not too far from uh, some of the the well known places for um, occult meetings and different things like that so uh, the Steiner society there's all different Swedenborg society there's all different places around central London that have these connections because of course someone like Emmanuel Swedenborg he also was someone who was having out-of-body experiences and there's a society to him in central London as well so I I was coming into contact with all these different organizations and uh, bookshops and I would spend a lot of time in Watkins books in central London which is this uh, I think it's the largest book of its type in in the UK. And it it basically uh, had a big second-hand section and I would find old, rare books on different things and I would collect as much as I could. So it was pretty much uh, I would work for the lecturer that I mentioned and then the money that I earned I pretty much spent on books and, and research and learning more on the topic. But of course... Most of what you read and most of what I read at the time um doesn't have much basis in, in fact. It's different opinions. And I guess studying that stuff, even though I know all that information now, I don't take it at face value. I don't think that it's all correct. I think that it's just um interesting in terms of the belief systems that might be out there. But I think that... This area is completely in its infancy in terms of our understanding of what really might be going on. Um, There's many people who claim to understand the experience, but I think when we get down into the science, there's very little understanding of what's really going on.
4: Did you enjoy learning about the history of astral travel OBEs were you surprised to learn how much this had happened throughout history or was that type of information hard to find
5: I think the history is a little bit harder to find there's people like Muldoon and Carrington um, from the sort of 1920s 1930s there's um, writings about astral projection in some of the occult literature the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn and organisations like that. But I didn't come across that much um, in terms of historical information. Um, Swedenborg, who I already mentioned, um, he was obviously having out-of-body experiences, but that term isn't used in any of the literature about him because that term wasn't really coined at that time and he didn't use that term um, he would just describe it as travelling to heaven or something of, of that description. So um, you had to read between the lines a lot, I think. When when reading about maybe a shamanic journey, you would realise that that person was having a near-death experience or an out-of-body experience, and um, you could work out what they were actually describing. But often in in the literature, in various areas, they wouldn't use the term out of body experience um i think which is probably good in some ways because out of body experience can sometimes be possibly a misleading term or a term that only focuses on um one aspect of how the experience feels because for example m- many people including me it's more of a it is more of a journey it feels more like traveling somewhere Um, So just saying out of body sounds overly simplistic to some degree. So I think sometimes I feel we do need new terms, and I have been exploring that as well.
4: So getting to the historical side, when you look at the way... That there wasn't that much information. Did you find that maybe that was something that need to be explored more on how many people had experienced this over time? Or did you feel that maybe the history starts right now, now that we have this whole new wave in the nineties of internet information that can be posted?
5: I think the 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 history is gonna be more of a, a modern History, like I said, I, I guess you can go back into into the past and work out dif- that different descriptions are are referring to out of body experiences and things like that. Um, but I think that we can pretty safely assume that the levels of out of body experience description are pretty consistent throughout history. Um, if you look at the um, the occurrences of it in fairly recent history let's say the early part of the 20th century and then compare that to the 19th century or the 18th or 17th etc it seems pretty much consistent um once you start getting into the 17th century and eras like that you have references in witchcraft you have um you know again it's it's uh it's veiled in, in religious belief and misinterpretation, probably by the church and the inquisition and things like that. So it's, it's often misunderstood in terms of the, the, the early writings, but you can read between the lines and see that, okay, there's, uh, there's references to what we would now probably call astral projection or out of body experiences. So, but I think now we, we very much, have much more of a solid basis for looking at that, especially since people like Muldoon and Carrington, I think they were really the the turning point in terms of talking about this subject in a more objective way and, and moving the whole topic forward. So I think from them forward, um, we're sort of coming up to a, a hundred years of detailed information on, on the topic in that sense um, since they wrote Uh, projection of the astral body and the phenomenon of astral projection.
4: I love learning about the history of things, and I guess that's why I'm focusing on this, because this whole genre of spirituality, of of psychic ability, of the supernatural is, is quite new to me. I'm 43 years old. My experiences started five and a quarter years ago. So when you have someone who is thrown into the mix, who is, say, in middle age and really doesn't understand, because I'm going to be honest with you, Graham, this totally killed my happily boring life, you know, how do you take someone who already has a plethora of life experience and get them into believers or going where you need to teach them?
5: Oh, I'm not trying to turn anyone into a believer um belief is is the worst thing anyone can do, I think. Um I, I want people to look at evidence and I want them to look at the basis of, of reality and to and to just be open and explore that. But I but I'm very much a supporter of doing that in as scientific a way as, as possible. So I don't want anyone to believe anything. I leave that to religion. Um I want them to I want them to analyze and question um, if, if that's what they want to do. I, my, my, my philosophy is very much if someone comes to me and they want to learn how to do this and they want to explore, then that's, that's very much uh, something I can help with. The thing is, I guess, as well, with my approach to teaching this kind of area or to, or to practicing it, you don't need to believe anything, um, the thing is, if my, my philosophy is if something is true, then it will become apparent anyway. I don't need to believe it. It will just show itself to be true. Um, so one, one example of that is, well, if an out body experience is real, I have an experience and then I'm able to show in some way that I had an experience, at least to myself or, or maybe verified experiences. I have examples of that we can talk about. Um, then... That confirms that there's some validity to it, then if you take that into the level of taking it more into the laboratory and um, looking at psychical research and things like that then then you get another layer of um, evidence and support for the existence of something like this so that 's kind of how i how I approach it so but if some if someone knew. Um, is coming into the area then then I think that's what I would do I would encourage them to look at look at the science to not to not jump into the deep end of all the there's so much th- this is true in so many areas there's so much um misinformation and um false information and all this kind of stuff on the internet and um even in books etc and I think that we need to go to the data, I think, in general, as best we can, um, and that way we start to get beyond uh, what's just people's opinions and and ideas, and and start to get a better idea of what actually might be going on.
4: What is the so re- th- what is the religious belief on this, Graham?
5: Um, I'm not sure. I would call it religious. What do you mean? Are you asking me what would be the Christian belief? Yeah, what would be
4: the Christian belief? Because there's definitely religions out there who believe in things like astral travel. I believe the Hindu religion does, along Mm -hmm. with reincarnation. But the major Christian belief, because we all, for the most of us listening to this show, we are Westerners, and we all have been brought up one way or another in what our belief system should be. Um.
5: I think that Christianity, in terms of the the teachings, which we have to remember is a Middle Eastern religion, um, it's not Western, it's not European. Um, I think that the basis of Christianity doesn't have really any problem with such a thing. Um, There's nothing particularly against it, and the only reference... In the Bible, to to these kinds of things, um, is a reference where um, the 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 figure. I'm thinking it's Job, but I'm I'm not gonna I'm not certain off the top of my head. But there's a there's a there's a sentence where one of the characters says, um, "He he travelled to heaven." I'm not sure whether it was in body or out of body that That line is is uh the only real reference to traveling somewhere out of body um, in the bible but it but it's obviously referencing someone traveling to heaven um, possibly out of body and uh, makes no negative connection with that it's it's essentially almost referenced in a positive sense um, so the only reference we have suggests that, that that there's no problem with it. So I think I don't, I don't see any issue with the idea of out-of-body experiences from a religious context. I know that a lot of religious people might reject out-of-body experiences for whatever reason because it's their contemporary belief that it's it's somehow wrong or, or it's been uh, muddled up with other areas but i think actually within their own doctrine i don't think there's anything that specifically says anything against it um to me you're it's just another form of experiencing if you believe in such a thing be- experiencing your soul directly or your spirit or whatever you want to call it so that would be the context that i would see it within
4: so let's get right into it then exactly what is an out-of-body experience?
5: Okay, well, we need to split that into two parts, really, because there's the first part of the definition of an out-of-body experience would be how you or I experience having an out-of-body experience. So that's like your personal um, experience. So that would be something like... um, Feeling that you are separate from your physical body in a sensory sense. So, usually you'll be at a different location. So, it could just be a few, a few feet from your body. You could be floating. You could be looking back at yourself. That's a very classic description uh, where you would be looking back at yourself, floating from above. Um, but it doesn't always take that format. You could be um, quite a distance from the body. My first initial brief out of body experiences that that did happen spontaneously but then I spent six months training myself um, to have my next experience um, that first few that first experience happened maybe half a mile from where i from where my body was so and I don't remember any sense of exiting the body or anything like that so it doesn't always follow a particular formula in how. experience will unfold but what there is always a sense of is being a kind of autonomous spirit or autonomous self at a different location um, and often traveling over a distance Um, so that that's kind of how the experience feels it's it's a feeling of being like a spirit um, being away from your physical body being able to see your physical body at times moving around freely Uh, in this kind of floating way um, or drifting, it kind of often feels like to me. Um, So something like that, a feeling of existing like a spirit, then if we take it to what is an out-of-body experience in terms of what is actually going on, well, then we have to say on the one hand you have philosophies like that it is some kind of soul that we have this eternal soul and the soul is coming out of the body temporarily Um, and it only permanently leaves the body at death, that would be more the the spiritual, esoteric, religious kind of structure. Then we have what is happening now, which is more of the scientific frameworks where people are starting to think, well, is it something like um, an extended consciousness? Is it more that the mind is not localized within the brain? Um, maybe consciousness is actually filtered by the brain rather than actually um, consciousness arises from the brain. We still have this mystery of consciousness. They call it the hard problem of consciousness. It's still we don't know how consciousness arises from brain matter. So if that's still a problem on that level, maybe some people have suggested maybe consciousness isn't actually dependent upon the brain and maybe it's something bigger there's different ideas or or, for example um which is one model if you like that uses a quantum basis to this kind of idea that maybe the microtubules the very low level structures of cells could be entangled on a quantum level and that way we have an ability for consciousness to be not just localized to the brain Um, so there's there's lots of different models and and ideas for what could be going on in terms of the science at the moment but as with many things with science we don't know yet we're still exploring and investigating and that's very much where i'm coming from I don't have a set belief system or a set idea of what I think is going on. I want to uh, follow the experiences, follow the information and uh, keep open and keep exploring and uh, see what we can find and keep improving upon my understanding as I go and hopefully that way get closer to the truth of what's actually going on.
4: So is there a big difference then between an out-of-body experience and astral driving or are they together as one
5: i think astral travel is is just a different terminology um i what i would say is something like astral projection is the esoteric name for in self-induced out-of-body experiences that's pretty much how i would say most people look at it um there are differences of opinion, like with any definition or any term, but most people um, use the term astral projection to mean an intentional, self-induced out-of-body experience. So um, I guess you could say the, the practice of being an out-of-body experiencer um, in an intentional way is astral projection. That practice you could call astral projection.
4: How do we know when we have experienced it? Because for many people who may not buy into their spiritual self or their own consciousness and live a very mainstream life, they may not be as attentive as, say, people who are connected or those who have a brain much like mine that just never seems to turn off. How do we know when it's happening? Um, that's
5: not usually something that's too complicated to understand because I think that when you have an out-of-body experience, it's pretty, it's pretty awe-inspiring and pretty powerful. Um, My first out-of-body experience that I induced um, felt like a a surge of electricity, almost like I'd been hit by a bolt of lightning, um, hit my body, not in a painful way but um, I mean in terms of the strength of the, of the energy it was just completely overwhelming but actually felt quite positive it didn't feel painful is what I'm trying to say um, so this overwhelming feeling of energy went rushed through my body the next thing I was aware of was I was up above myself looking back at my physical body um, the whole room seemed to be sort of glowing with energy as well so just from that brief experience that probably only lasted a, a few minutes, um, my whole worldview almost was, was changed from, from that moment because it was, um, it was so real and so different and so like unlike anything else I'd ever experienced that I had to say, well, this is something that I really want to investigate and I want to understand and I want to know about the nature of our world. Um, so I think that's that's kind of uh, something that you can't really just uh, think that you didn't have or that uh, you can just brush under the carpet and say, okay, that's uh, I didn't really have that or that was a dream or something like that. I tend to think if people think it's a dream, then they probably did have a dream.
4: <laughs> Would lucid dreaming fall into play in that?
5: I don't really see much relationship with lucid dreaming. A lot of people do, but I I, I actually think that's a mistake and a misconception. Um, I think that an OBE can at times be initiated from a lucid dream. I don't think it's the best way to do it, but I think it can be done. Um, uh, but I, I think the problem is, is there's often a, a blurring between the two or... I've read descriptions that people call out-of-body experiences that that began from lucid dreams, and to me it sounds more like they were they just continued to lucid dream. Um, but that's again down to a, a matter of opinion. But my OBEs happen from a waking state, from a from more of a, a meditative state, or I guess you could call it light hypno- hypnosis, self self hypnosis, something along those lines. But I don't initiate them from sleep um so yeah the the lucid dreaming approach is is not my my favoured method and I I think that it's a it's a difficult thing to to get into because then you you start to get this blurring between the two because you've got people describing things which I don't know, they they sound very dreamlike to me and uh, they're set, telling me that it's a, an out-of-body experience and that, that can be... It's hard to to know whether to say, OK, yes, that's what you had or, or not. Um, so I tend to focus more on the conscious experiences because they're more clearly defined and clearly out-of-body experiences and don't seem to have these elements that the dreaming experiences have. They seem to be much more... My out our body experiences seem to be much more similar to the accounts in near-death experiences and things like that.
4: Well, let's talk about the correlation between OBEs and near-death experiences. A lot of people who die do recall leaving their body. Would would you connect the two in that same way, or are they two totally different experiences?
5: No, I, th- I think that they are... Definitely related. I think that for me, when I read near-death experience accounts, it sounds very much like what I experience. Um, I think that an out-of-body experience is a component of the near-death experience. Um, Usually the near-death experience just goes further into the sort of afterlife or whatever reality that is or whatever uh, level that is that they start to experience um those experiences seem to go a bit further into that level not always i've had experiences of that level as well um so i think that i i think that the the, the main thing is an out of body experience is a component of a near death experience a near death experience has maybe a few extra components that you don't usually find in an out of body experience on its own, but um, an out of body experience is often or usually an aspect of a near death experience. So that's how I look at it.
4: Do people still have the same pictures in their head as a near death experience when they are maybe seeing relatives or or former pets that have passed on, or former friends or? the whole experience of going through the tunnel. Is that the same thing that people are seeing during an OBE or is it a completely different visual?
5: Um, Those things can happen. They're not very common in out-of-body experiences. That's where the difference is. Um, People having out-of-body experiences tend, and this isn't universal and this isn't true of even all of my experiences, but I'm, I'm saying in the majority of cases, you tend not to see deceased relatives and, and such people like that. Um, but, for example, I, one of my most powerful experiences was um, what Raymond Moody is calling a shared death experience, um, which is essentially where you personally don't die, but you have an out-of-body experience and you experience the, the dying process of someone else. It often happens with relatives. Um, so, for example, a group of relatives will be seeing um, the death of, say, their brother or mother or something like that, a member of the family. And as they're sitting there, they see the the person die, lift out of the body, go through a tunnel. They'll watch the whole thing. And sometimes um, the first account that Raymond Moody uh, described uh was a woman who tried to resuscitate her mother fell back exhausted after attempts to save her and had an out of body experience and saw her mother floating there they shared an experience and the mother then um continued on through a portal and and disappeared um in my experience um i found myself in a misty um cloudy looking huge vast expanse with no no literal um no literal kind of uh, landmarks or anything that you could identify it was it was just this vast openness and then maybe around 150 meters something like that from where i was there was a group of around 100 who were all gathered. Um, They looked confused. Um, Some of them seemed to be having visions. Um, I actually saw glimpses of some of the visions, which I now know. I didn't know this at the time. This happened in 1996. At the time, um, I didn't know, but these were life reviews. I was seeing glimpses or memories from these people's lives. And I watched as these... Uh, memories moved around and people saw different elements of their lives. Some people seemed to go through the life review much quicker. Um, They seemed to have much more positive experiences with it and I remember I think it was a woman, I can't be sure but there was one at the sort of back of the group, one figure and um, she sort of seemed to move off um, and then sort of disappear into the mist and it seemed like some of them were moving on. It was like they were in this level of being in this misty cloud-like environment. Um, This seemed like the first stage, if you like, and then many of them began to move on. I remember they had a European um, appearance, some of them. Uh, I got the feeling that they were not English-speaking. All of these things were sort of coming through to me. I have a very vivid image of uh, one of the person's memories which was uh, of this very intense looking man with um, very sort of leathery skin and looked like a worker and um, someone who'd worked in, in the outside environment for his, his entire life. Um, so I saw all of these glimpses in these people's memories and then um, I slowly sort of drifted away as well and came back to my body and then I don't remember the exact uh, time Scale, but very soon after, I uh, I saw the news uh, on the on the television, and there was a report of a a plane crash that had happened in an island um, uh, that was part of Norway, um, and I discovered that basically 100, I think it was 141 people. So, pretty much exactly what I'd seen. had died in this plane crash and uh, they'd been workers and they were all Europeans. Um, So it was almost like a verification, almost like a a piece of evidence in this reality for what I'd seen in essentially another reality. So that's an example of a a shared death experience.
4: I didn't know that you could see... Almost future-like events when going through this experience.
5: Um, you can, yeah. Um, I wouldn't say that I've come across many examples of it myself, either. Only my own experiences. So, but the the, the way I tend to look at it is is we're dealing with something that's essentially a form of psychic ability you're, you're dealing with something that um i think psychic abilities are probably interrelated to this i think that probably with um something like clairvoyance um, or remote viewing is people often know that term these days um as you move through the process of of developing that and taking it deeper the further you go the closer it becomes to a fully immersive experience and when it becomes a fully immersive experience, then you're dealing with essentially an out of body experience. So, I think uh, I think that's kind of one way to look at it. And when you look at it like that, you realise that oh, okay, if if people have precognition, seeing the future, then why couldn't they have that kind of experience within the context of an out of body experience? So, I would say that my first Precognitive experience was the most powerful out-of-body experience I think I've ever had. Um, It took place in 1999. I was at a a meeting of a a few friends. We'd hired a a hall um, to do a basically to do a sort of class um, in a very informal way. I was just teaching some friends essentially. Um, I just developed a new technique that I still use to this day called the G-Technique. And I was showing it to a few of my friends and uh, trying to get some feedback on it and things like that. So we were in this room. I was teaching this this method. And as I was teaching it, I wasn't really feeling the results that I I developed the technique for because it was designed to create this feeling of... um, the body going into shutdown and the mind staying alert which is essentially what you need to initiate an out-of-body experience so i was teaching this methodology nothing really was happening and i was thinking oh okay maybe i've maybe this technique wasn't the way i envisioned it and almost as soon as i thought that um i Felt completely overwhelmed. I went down onto the to the ground um, just to get some st- stability. I didn't faint or anything. I just, but I went uh, to ground level just to sort of feel more stable. And as I did, I basically went into an out of body experience. I just, uh, in a very intense way, just went straight out of body. Was moving initially through a natural environment, um, sort of like a kind of jungle type environment. Um, or at least very, very natural, lots of leaves and plants and things like that, and maybe a stream. And I I was moving through that environment, and then that seemed to break away. It was was almost like that experience got torn uh, or ripped, and then I found myself standing in uh, Soho in central London, which was an area I knew well. Um, I looked across to my right, and I saw a restaurant that I was familiar with. Um, I realised exactly where I was standing because I knew, as I say, I knew that area well. So I knew that I was on Old Compton Street, which is right in in the centre of Soho. Um, And I was looking down from this this point in the road. It's like two roads converge and it creates a sort of a very acute point, a sort of a little um, area that sort of juts out into the into the middle of the road um so I was standing on that point looking down the road and then I saw an explosion burst out from the right hand side I saw someone run past me everything seemed to turn to chaos and I I felt this emotional wave so what you might have expected would have been like the force of the blast was actually like I felt force of emotion it was like the the anguish and the the emotional state of the people that were in the in the bombing um seemed to hit me in the chest and as this feeling hit me in the chest i came back not really to my physical body but i went into a kind of neutral state where i wasn't seeing or hearing anything i was just in this uh, void like state And I stayed in this state um, for a while. A few of the people who were in the room with me while this OBE was happening had obviously become aware that something was going on. So one of them, a man called Chris, had started to try and coax me out of this uh, state. Um, Another man, Lawrence, was also helping him. And they basically managed to sort of bring me out of this void experience that I was in um and then we went into a circle in the middle of the room and i described exactly what i'd seen i had this strong conviction that this was going to be a precognitive experience so I, i just had this conviction i don't know why but i just was convinced that this was something that was going to happen i described that uh to the people present um and then five days after that um out of body experience uh, the actual event happened. There was a bombing on Old Compton Street, basically exactly where I'd seen it. Um, so that was my first uh, precognitive out body experience. And it, I think it's very unique in the history of outbody body experiences because it was also witnessed by four other people in the room while it actually happened. Um, and so we had, you know, and they all knew prior to the, to the bombing, that it was going to happen as well. So I think uh, it, it, it stands as in terms of the emotion, in terms of the intensity, and in terms of the uh, verified nature of it, one of the most powerful experiences I've had.
4: We only have about three and a half minutes before we go to break here. What do you tell the naysayers or the skeptics who say, oh, this is just your mind making things up?
5: I say that I focus on the science. Um, it's not really about what anyone thinks. Um, I, I focus on psychical research. That's why I've taken part in experiments with Rupert Sheldrake and Dean Radin and different scientists. I mean, my focus is on finding out what's going on. So it, it doesn't really matter to me what someone believes, I'm, I focus on science.
4: The reason why I ask that is there's a lot of people who may not have the name that you do in this field, Graham, who are belittled, ridiculed by their family, their friends, their coworkers, their parishioners. You know what I'm saying? And it's a very difficult thing for them to handle.
5: I'm um, sure. I think that on on that level, I think the best thing that people can do. It is to is to look into the research. The research is on on the side of of the proponents. That's the word I prefer to believers. Um, it's it's basically if you actually look at the 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 parapsychology, the research that's been going on for a hundred and thirty something years, um, we find that the evidence for telepathy, the evidence for precognition, the evidence for Outer body experiences have been researched less, but there's still evidence there for it. Um, near-death experiences as well. So if you put all of it together, there's actually a huge body of evidence supportive of these things. So I think that essentially the sceptics are like sceptics of evolution or something. I think the evidence is, is overwhelming, um, but, certain people are always going to uh, question it and and undermine it, and they're entitled to their opinion, I think. But I think the best thing to do is to look at the data and then, then make your decision from there.
4: And that's something a lot of people are going to have to do, especially those like myself who've never experienced this, because there is a lot of science behind it. And we're going to get into the science behind this with Graham Nichols in our number two we're also going to get to your questions as well because i know they are stockpiling up and i promise you <laughs> i am looking and you know graham my my audience is very very in tune with the topics of the night and i know there's questions that they want me to get to so we'll do that in our number two if you want to visit graham nichols website it is grahamnichols.com. nichols is spelled n-i-c-h O-L-L-S. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio. We'll be back right after this break.
1: Would you like to become one of our space travelers? All you have to do is click on the space travelers icon at spacedoutradio.com. For only $5 a month, you can get access to some great prizes, as well as private monthly shows, newsletters, and a members-only section on our website. Become a space traveler today.
6: Looking for news beyond the mainstream news? Head to SpacedOutRadio.com and check out the SOR SpaceWire. This is Spaced Out Radio's Eric Markham, News Director for the SOR SpaceWire. Daily, I will bring you intriguing stories and outlandish reports from what's going on around the world. UFO sightings, paranormal activity, conspiracies, alternative health, and so much more. And if you have news, email me at news at SpacedOutRadio.com.
3: Have you had an experience you can't explain?
1: Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit, and expect a miracle.
3: Greetings, space travelers. I am Dave Cruz, host of Beyond the Strange Radio, live every Sunday evening, 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10 p.m. Eastern. Each week, we have special guests and talk about paranormal, bizarre, and strange topics mainstream just won't touch. Look for us on the Spaced Out Radio website or go to beyondthestrange.com for more information. And remember, don't be a stranger, just be strange. Asta.
7: Are you interested in advertising on Spaced Out Radio? Head to our website at spacedoutradio.com and click on our advertising tab. There, you will find an assortment of ways you can get your product out there with us. From radio commercials to banners and social media, Have a product you like our hosts to endorse? We can do that too. Visit SpacedOutRadio.com for more details.
1: Hi there. This is your medium, Joanna, from Spaced Out Weekend, to mediums and a large. I would love it if you would come and join us with host James Tyson every other Sunday on Spaced Out Weekend. Together, we will take your calls and your questions live. Our goal is to provide you with a positive outlook on deep questions that you may have. Questions regarding love, relationships, money, or whatever else is on your mind. Come and check us out at spacedoutradio.com.
7: The sounds of wood knocking in the forest, odd happenings right out of a fictional world. These are the reports I love. Hi there, this is author Ronald Murphy, and I would love it if you join me and Spaced Out Radio host Dave Scott the second Wednesday of every month on our journey into the unknown land of cryptozoology at spacedoutradio.com. From Mothman to and everything in between. Hey,
2: they don't call me the crypto guru for nothing. From British Columbia to Northern California, Pacific North Weird has Cascadia covered. Check out our feature videos at spacedoutradio.com where I, Vincent Zunza, and my super sleuth partner, Alexandra Sullivan, track down the weird and strange stories from around the Pacific Northwest. From Bigfoot to Mel's Hole and everything in between, this is what makes life exciting. So why report the normal when we can report the Pacific North Weird right here at spacedoutradio.com? Oh, there's only one way to rock. Loud and
0: proud. In high definition. Radio 702 Rocks, Las Vegas.
8: Every Saturday and Sunday night as Dave Scott wanders aimlessly in the wilderness. You can come hang out with me, James Tyson, and Spaced Out Weekend. We're starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern. I'll take you along as we talk with some of the best experts in their fields. SpacedOutRadio.com is the place to find us. So sit down, relax, put your feet up. Enjoy the topics like the paranormal, supernatural, intuitiveness, and so much more. Hope to see you there.
0: The views and opinions expressed by tonight's guest and topic of discussion do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of Spaced Out Radio. Spaced Out Weekend, Spaced Out Radio Limited, its hosts, syndicated carriers, or anyone associated with this broadcast. Would you like to connect with us? Head to SpacedOutRadio.com for all your latest show info. And hit us up on Twitter using the hashtag SpacedOutRadio. Now, back to Dave Scott and SOR.
4: Welcome back to the second hour of Spaced Out Radio tonight. I am your host, Dave Scott. Tomorrow night, we will have Sean David Morton with us. We're going to look at 2017 in a remote view. Normally, the second Tuesday of the month is for Samantha Mowat and the ET experience. However, Samantha last week lost her father And we are giving her the night off as she and as we send her family and Samantha prayers for the loss in their family. So Samantha will be with us again in February tomorrow night, Sean David Morton, 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern Time, right here at spacedoutradio.com. We want to thank everyone listening in on Revolution Radio. Remember, the Double R Machine is a donation station financed by you, the valued listener. Head on over to freedomslips.com and donate today. If you're listening in on Renegade Talk Radio out of Las Vegas, thank you. We're sending our love down to Sin City. And, of course, if you're listening in on the United Public Radio Network live on 107.7 FM in New Orleans and 160 countries around the world, it's good to have you along for the ride as well. Bill Cardwell has set the password in the S.O.R. Space Travelers Club for tonight. Poika Lothurmaism. Poika He's always trying to tongue-tie me. He got me tonight. Last week, I nailed them all. This week, I'm not off to a good start. Thanks, Bill. Bill sets a password every single night. For the SOR Space Travelers Club, use it wisely. Remember our website, spacedoutradio.com. If you want to follow us on social media, you could do so on Twitter, at Spaced Out Radio. And you can use the hashtag on Twitter, at, or hashtag Spaced Out Radio, in order to communicate with us there during the show. You can listen to this program and others on our YouTube channel. Tune us in on TuneIn. Download the show on iTunes and so much more. And when you're at our website, we have a plethora of features there for you as well. So make sure you check it out today. Graham Nichols is our guest tonight. And we are talking out-of-body experiences, astral travel. Graham's website is grahamnichols.com. Nichols spelt with two L's on the end. Welcome back, Graham. Good to be back. The science behind out-of-body experiences... Is this something that the mainstream science takes very seriously or is it still on that fine edge of whether or not they want to delve into this?
5: I think that the mainstream um, generally pretty much ignore it or generally don't really look at parapsychology as a field in general. Um, I think that there's maybe... A professional taboo against the against the area. That's one level of what's going on. I think um, another level is people don't want to be ridiculed. They don't want to uh, feel like they're stupid or something if they come out and talk about these kinds of things. Um, for example, just recently, I was uh, reading about Sam Harris, uh, the the new atheist, who. Um, in his book, uh, I forget which book it was, but in one of his books, he, he mentioned that he felt the evidence for psychic abilities or, or psi as it's generally referred to in parapsychology, that he felt that the evidence was, uh, was strong for, for the subject. And, um, he was attacked, uh, by nearly everyone else in, in the field for saying that. Um, but the reality is what he said was, was, correct um when when you look at the data um the evidence is strong and i think that in some ways we're dealing with probably uh, um so much of an institutionalized viewpoint against these things since the the enlightenment and uh the the early eras of science that it's going to be a very very slow process for that to change i guess that's something that we'll just have to accept but that is the way that it's going to going to be i think um when you consider for example that the evidence against smoking um it took over 7000 studies um to be published before the the mainstream admitted that smoking uh, led To lung cancer, for example. So it's often the way in science that the the body of evidence has to be ridiculously high at times um, before certain taboos or certain paradigms or certain attitudes can be overcome and uh, things can move forward.
4: Do you see a day when mainstream science may take a more serious look at this study, considering there seems to be overwhelming fact that it does happen?
5: Um, I think that it will be inevitable at some point, yeah. I, I think that probably the biggest stumbling block at the moment is it doesn't fit within the current understandings of how the universe works and so essentially there's no known mechanism for something like an out-of-body experience or something like uh psychic abilities so we have this problem of because of that that stops a lot of the mainstream scientists even looking at it because they're like well if there's no there's no mechanisms no force in nature there's no um uh, way that this could actually take place within the known laws of the universe, then why why should we look at it? And to some degree, I think that's a valid argument. Um, but at the same time, there's this body of evidence suggesting that there is something going on. So I think that there needs to be a balance between the two. I think if more people actually paid attention and there was more discussion Maybe we could start to move towards an understanding of what the, what the mechanism might be. But I do think that at some point, um, if these things are real, which I think it's, it's very difficult to see how my experiences or the experiences that I've seen in the laboratory, um, the research that I've taken part in, um, I've also organized PSI um, research with Rupert Sheldrake for example so the research that I organised we had many participants and we replicated the levels of um, telepathy in that particular study um, that you would find in Rupert Sheldrake's other research so I was personally able to show and to see that there are that there is good evidence for, for telepathy as one example so what do you do with that if that's just uh if that's just coincidence or something like that which is what a lot of the uh uh skeptics will argue or some of them will that's one argument they put forward then you you know it it becomes so statistically improbable at a certain point that it becomes irrational to actually dismiss it so it's it's amusing in a way that the scientists are being the skeptics and you know they they're kind of moving into the world of the creationists and, you know, just denying the evidence, unfortunately.
4: Let's get to some questions from our audience, because I know they're building up. Spear in the Space Out Radio chat room on Spreaker is asking, Graham, what do you believe is the relation between astral travel and remote viewing? Um, As I was
5: mentioning earlier, I think that they're on a kind of continuum. I think that uh, you could describe remote viewing. I mean, remote viewing, I I should define a little bit because remote viewing is a protocol. It's a system of controlled clairvoyance. So what I'm actually talking about here is clairvoyance. I think that clairvoyance or visual, psychical perception is, say, at one end of a spectrum. Um, so the thing with something like clairvoyance or remote viewing is you're you're doing it while you're consciously aware um, while you're essentially in a kind of dual consciousness you're aware that say you're sitting in a room you're drawing sketches of what you're seeing so you're aware that you're physically there you're in body, you're conscious of what you're doing but at the same time you have these perceptions and you have non-local information coming Uh, into your mind um if you take that a little bit deeper then i think you're starting to move towards something like a semi out of body experience or maybe a visionary experience you could call it or something like that it's going a bit deeper you take that deeper again and you lose all sense of the physical body um you go into what essentially is an out of body experience so my 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 feeling on it is that you're on a, you're dealing with a continuum that on, on one end, you've got just that gut feeling that something's going on. You know, you might be walking down the street and you just have this instinct. That would be the sort of most basic level. And then at the other end, you've got something like a full near death experience that includes even physical healing and things like that. So it's, there's a, there's a spectrum of, of depth of the experience. But I think that all that we're really dealing with is how deeply you've essentially lost your sense of the physical body, how much the physical body has been taken out of the process and your and your your consciousness, your um expanded awareness, if you like, your extended mind, how much that has become the, the, the central focus in the experience.
4: Let's get to hashtag spaced out radio on Twitter. And Joe, we call him Canadian Joe around these parts. He goes, mm-hmm. Can out of body experiences be either a positive or negative experience? Um,.
5: Again, this, this is, this is down to uh, personal experience and personal opinions and things like that. Um, I've never had what I would describe as a negative experience. I've, I've, the visionary experience of the future event that I mentioned. I mean, you could interpret that in some senses that it had, uh, that it was very emotional and it was, a, it was obviously a negative event that I saw, but the experience itself was not negative. Um, it was actually a very transformative, very positive experience for me in terms of how it made me look at the world and um, ask questions about the nature of time and space and things like that. So um, in terms of uh, I've never had anything negative with it. And I think that, again, there are superstitions and there are beliefs that come essentially from the past um, that I don't think have very much basis. I have looked into it extensively, um, different ideas about negative entities and all these kinds of things, and I haven't found much support for any negativity ever coming from an out body experience. Um, so you know, you hear some very basic sort of descriptions and you also can hear of people who have misinterpretations. For example, they'll have sleep paralysis, which is, um, where you wake up, but you can't move and you're essentially still dreaming, but you think that you're awake. Um, and you might, uh, see a figure in your room or things like that, but that's actually a form of dreaming. It's not an out of body experience. Um, there are also experiences where people will have an out-of-body experience and they'll see a small black figure or something like that in their room and they'll automatically assume that that's something negative. Um, whereas in my experience, um, someone that you know can often be seen as a as a dark figure. A shadowy figure is often essentially how out-of-body forms uh, appear to each other. Uh, One of the uh, people I was teaching um, a couple of years ago had an amazing out-of-body experience where he was able to meet his son, um, his small son who was about 11, I think. Um, He had an out-of-body experience. His son had his first ever out-of-body experience and they met each other while out of body and they both saw each other as uh, humanoid shadow shapes. So um, he could have interpreted his own son as something negative if he just looked at that shadowy form and said, oh, that's a kind of dark shadow, therefore it must be something bad. So then he wouldn't have actually had the amazing experience with his son and he would have logged that in his own belief system as being something negative. So I think it's we have to be very careful about how we interpret things as well.
4: Follow-up question from Canadian Joe, God of Thunder, at hashtag SpaceOutRadio on Twitter. Can substances, for example, ayahuasca, induce an out-of-body experience?
5: I, I think that they're different experiences. Um, I've never used any hallucinogens, and I don't use any drugs, including alcohol. Um, so it, that's not my area or avenue for, for exploring this kind of thing, but um, but from my study of the literature and discussions with many people who have explored that kind of area to me i would define them as as different experiences but again it it will depend on your definition if if in that experience you have some sense of not being uh physically human anymore or not being in the in the body anymore in some way well you could say that that is an out of body experience if you're very if you if you take the definition very loosely but if you're talking about the type of our body experience that I'm talking about in the sense of more of a um, more of an astral projection or a near-death experience type experience, then I don't think that the, the ayahuasca experiences or DMT experiences or the various other um, hallucinogens uh, have the same uh, elements that we would define as an out-of-body experience
4: do you recommend people to use hallucinogenics in order to enhance what they need spiritually? Because that seems to be a big play with a lot of spiritualists over the last 18 to 24 months.
5: Yeah, it's popular, but no, I don't recommend it. (laughs) I, I recommend developing your own faculties and your own abilities and, um, uh, taking that approach that's that's my personal advice um obviously my attitude is everyone should do what they feel is correct for their own self i agree with uh, graham hancock in the sense of it should be um about your own sovereign integrity your own sovereign choice to do what you decide with your own uh with your own consciousness um but at the same time my my personal ethos is I think that there is usually some kind of emotional or um stability loss by taking the the substance uh direction um in terms of the person's personality and or sometimes in terms of the uh the direct impact so it's it's a difficult one, and i've I've seen I've seen the horror stories as well, blindness and uh, schizophrenia and uh, things like that. So I think that people should take things in an informed way as well. There's often a very biased internet giving the impression that it's only ever positive and. That it's, that it's just medicine and et cetera, et cetera. And I think that we need to be a bit more critically minded and, and objective than that. I think that obviously you've got the sort of anti-anything kind of world, the sort of government and things like that. I think that's not correct either. I think many people have positive and life-affirming and life-changing experiences through different uh, plants and uh, hallucinogens. But at the same time, I don't think that it's uh, necessarily the best avenue if you want to have consistent and um, more controlled experiences.
4: Getting back to when we were discussing the near-death experience comparatively to the out-of-body experience, Canadian Joe, this is his third question in a row, is wondering if you still see the same life review or judgment that goes along with it.
5: In an outer body experience, do I see the life yes. review? Um, like I said, those elements are not so common in an out-of-body experience. I haven't personally I don't think or, or not had like a full life review, no. I mean i that's that's something that's something I think that probably does only happen within the context of a near death experience. Um, but There are elements of the near death experience that I have had, like, for example, going down a a tunnel. I had an experience of going down a dark tunnel, which was surrounded by. Ribbit is the kind of sparks you get if you grind metal against metal. So these sort of fiery sparks coming off of, um, coming into the darkness. So a large tunnel, sparks around it and going towards a light in another tunnel experience. I also, this was interesting as well in terms of the skeptics, actually, because in this second tunnel experience, I turned my head as I was going along the tunnel or what I think was my head. (laughs) Um, But I looked across during, in the tunnel experience and I was actually going through the tunnel sideways and looking at other figures, there were many other figures, um, and, and, the, and the, the tunnel was vast. It was like the largest um, hall or or massive sort of open area that I've ever I've ever been in. Um, and I remember looking across, and I could see all these. I can't even put a number on it, but so many figures, all moving down this tunnel as well. Um, but it was interesting because some of the arguments of the sceptics have been that um, the tunnel is caused by a deterioration of the peripheral vision or that um, the tunnel is just a sort of optical effect that then becomes a hallucination. Um, but because I was going along it sideways, um, you know, that that tunnel shape was actually not what I was seeing in my visual field. It was a tunnel because I could see see that from looking even sideways but um, but it didn't have that structure of the visual field so it's kind of interesting on that level but um, but yes I, I think that uh, there are many elements in an out-of-body experience that are consistent with near death experiences but the actual dying part the the uh, life review and the meeting the relatives interestingly doesn't show up in an out-of-body experience. And that, I think, is also quite a confirmation in a way that uh, uh, there's a difference between the dying experience and the the life experience. Although, as I mentioned, you can have a shared death experience, they're very well established, but you're not actually dying yourself. So I think that you're not going to actually go that one stage further um, as the person who's actually dying will. Um, it seems to stop at a certain point.
4: I got a pair of questions from Vivian here, and she is asking, Graham, how can I get past the excruciatingly loud roar in my ears so I can get on with astral travel?
5: Okay, well, I tend to call these things like noises, um vibrations, the different uh, sensations that people have. The one that most people know about is the vibrational state. That's the most common. But there are also others, um, such as the void state, as I call it. Um, Also, these buzzing noises and rushing noises and things like that. Unfortunately, um, everyone's, I call them transitional stages. So I think that what you're experiencing there is a transition from in-body awareness or being in your, your normal sense of the world, looking at the world through your eyes, that kind of sense of being who you are. Um, as you start to transition um, from that sense of being in the body to being out of the body, um, you get these these shifts, these changes. Often that comes in the sense of the body feeling electrified, feeling vibrational sensations running through you, these kinds of things. Or it might be noises, buzzing, uh, things like that in the ears. Um, so, unfortunately, it's, it's a sign of how you personally are transitioning from in-body to out-of-body. Um, the, the The trick would be essentially to be able to 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 keep going even with that uh even with that noise and to uh try to get beyond your awareness of the physical body so it's a it's a it's a process that you have to uh train yourself to do or maybe um mask the sound in some way by using um i i've developed a technology called infraliminal sound which is a uh, um, it's not binaural. People always assume it's a binaural beats thing, but it's actually a completely different thing that I developed. Um, and that's specifically designed to develop the vibrational state. So you can also use something like a, a different kind of sound to mask the the sound that's unhelpful. so you know that would then that sound would then help initiate the vibrations in the outer body experience.
4: Her follow-up question is, can one only see their tunnel just by looking at the ceiling in a mostly dark room? Because she can.
5: She can see a tunnel by looking
4: hmm. I, I, a- at the ceiling in a mostly dark room.
5: I think I think the thing to understand is not everyone's uh, process and not everyone's experience is the same. Um uh, there's no set uh this is what people will see this is what how it will work um I think the the thing with of body experience is that there are certain markers you could say, but within that framework there's quite there's quite a spectrum of different types of things that people experience, as I mentioned, the most common First stage is vibrations and things like that, and then other people have buzzing, and other people have a sort of void, which isn't is completely different. It's just like being in a blackness. Um, so those are all early stages. Some people will uh, feel like they're falling out of their body. Other people will feel like they're lifting out of their body. Other people will see tunnels. Other people will um, just find themselves at a different location. Um so some people will literally just get out of bed thinking that they're they're completely normal um and go to walk to the bathroom or something and they go to open the door and their hand just goes through the through the door handle. So, you know, there's there's a real spectrum of how the experience unfolds. So um if that's how um you specifically see things, then I think you have to work with your own signs and symbols of how the experience opens up um, and develop that and maybe learn to understand what those things mean for you personally or um, whether they are signals that you're close to an experience, things like that.
4: Let's get to a pair of questions from Eric, and before we do, we got a good compliment for you on Twitter at hashtag SpacedOutRadio. Canadian Joe says you you look a lot like Dave Murray from Iron Maiden. So, you know, us being metal guys around here, we really appreciate that. Right, okay. Eric Markham has a question for you, and he is asking, does the pineal gland have a role to play in astral travel or out-of-body experiences?
5: It, it might do. Um, at, at this point, again, the research is a bit sketchy, but what, what we could say about the pineal gland, we know the pineal gland produces melatonin, um, which is responsible for day and night regulation, your sort of sense of uh, uh, your sort of body clock, if you like. Um And in darkness, uh, so I often wear an eye mask, for example, to completely create total blackout, um, which will help with melatonin release when I do that, and when I also um, eat foods and um, do practice that sort of increases melatonin levels the the levels of the of the uh, likelihood of the, the experience. Can increase so over over the years of practice. I tend to think there is a relationship to melatonin. Um, some people think that the um, pineal also produces dimethyltryptamine. Um, again, there's this uh, trend for wanting to put everything down to chemicals. I think that that's a mistake because I, I think we're dealing with. The whole of consciousness, and I don't think it's uh, physical. Probably um, something like dimethyltryptamine may well uh, be an initiator that could be, but again, we don't have much evidence for that. There's there's evidence that, that DMT exists within the brain of of uh, humans, but there's not much evidence that it's produced by the pineal. That's that's not confirmed as yet. But it seems, it seems likely, though. Um, so I think this is probably the link with the pineal. And I know my, my colleague, Anthony Peake, who, um, who uh, looks into this kind of science in quite a lot of depth, uh, he, he feels that there's a, there's a link with DMT and the pineal gland and things like that. I'm less convinced at this point. I'm, I'm, I'm open, but I, I need to see the data
4: let's move on to eric's second question are flying dreams out-of-body experiences that we just don't have lucid control over
5: i doubt it (laughs) um as as i mentioned earlier i don't see too much with uh, too much link with dreams i i I think that's a mistake as well i it's it's uh we we try to we try to categorise too many things together. I think we actually need to, we actually need to be very specific with definitions. I think this is really important because I think that what what we as human beings have a tendency to do is to say, oh, that looks a bit similar to that, therefore they're the same, and then we tend to sort of lose sight of actually what we're what we're learning about and. Uh, develop misconceptions and things like that so um if people are interested in the dream out-of-body experience question i wrote a a whole article on it on my website which has 17 different reasons why i think there's a there's a fundamental difference between the two things Um, some of the most significant differences are in various different areas of research for example going right back um, to sort of decades ago D Scott Rogo did some research where he uh, uh, looked at brain waves in in dreaming sleep and compared the brain waves to people having out-of-body experiences and demonstrated that there was a clear difference between the two um, that's also been seen in the research with people like Alex Tanis in the 1980s so and then write through to myself um, the type of brainwaves that I have while having an output experience are not consistent with any form of sleep or dreaming. So I think that it doesn't make a lot of sense to sort of categorize those two things together, and that's just taking one of the points from the 17 points that, I'm, that I wrote in the article. So uh, people should go to my website and have a look at that if they're interested.
4: Do you believe anybody can do this?
5: Um, anybody is a big, a big statement, but I think pretty much, uh, pretty much anybody, as long as they have a positive attitude and will actually do, do the practice. Um, I think like with many practices or or studies, the number one reason people fail at having out of body experiences is nothing to do with, um, the The methodologies or the practices or anything like that it's it's to do with not doing the practices or methodologies. Um, so actually one of the one of the focuses with my work, I also coach people in a one on one scenario. and the reason I like that as a way of training people is because I can, as a coach does in terms of if you're trying to get fit, I can also try and motivate people to keep them on track. Because I think one of the things that people generally fall down on, um, if they just try to do it from a book or something like that, is that they they're unable to keep the momentum going and they try for a, a few days and or maybe a week or something and then they they forget about it, which is like the the New Year gym membership kind of situation where people wanna get fit, they go to the gym, they're really positive about it. And a week or two later, they, they've they kind of forgotten about it. Um, so it's important to have some kind of support structure if you're not particularly good at motivating yourself and things like that. So, um, But I think as long as those things are in place, I think pretty much anyone can learn if they put the time and the effort in, like I say.
4: Eric has a follow-up question here. Has anyone, to your knowledge ever conducted an MRI or a CT scan while having a controlled out-of-body experience? Um,
5: there, there was a recent piece of research actually from Canada, as far as I remember, um, with a young woman who claimed to be able to induce out-of-body experiences in a, a in a consistent way. Um, I'm not sure what type of scanner they used off the top of my head but I'm sure if you if you search for Canadian study of out of body experience uh student uh she was a a student um in a Canadian university I'm pretty sure um you'll you'll see what what kind of uh scanning system they used um the only problem with that again with some of the science especially when it's coming more from the sceptical perspective, they don't tend to worry too much about being precise with the definition. So um, exactly what her out-of-body experiences were like naturally and what she actually induces is not described um, in in the research. So it's just assumed that what she says is, is an out-of-body experience and it's kind of taken on face value. So my only my only apprehension or not, uh, my only issues with that study would be uh, it would, uh, I would like to know exactly what her normal experiences are like and then compare them to what happened when she was being monitored, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I think that's the main one that's been done. Um, it's usually more been EEG studies and things like that. But um, that's, that's again another thing that needs to be done more Um And I'm always volunteering to uh, take part in these things, so maybe I'll I'll get to do it at some point.
4: Let's get to a question from Elizabeth in the SOR Space Travelers Club. She is asking, Graham, do you remember your out-of-body experiences or your astral travels? And if so, how can I develop my ability to remember?
5: Um yes, I remember them more vividly usually than my than my physical memories. Um if well from from the statement of having trouble remembering them, I, I don't know, it's sort of suggestive to me that she's possibly taking the lucid dreaming approach, um, because obviously many people struggle to remember their dreams. Um so one way to improve upon that would be basically to learn to induce the experiences in a conscious way. So learn some conscious methodologies. Um, My second book, navigating the out-of-body experience has both dreaming and conscious methods in it. And I go very much into the uh, more uh, conscious methods in my courses as well there's two courses on my website a 5 week course and an 8 week course uh Anthony Peak uh is also in the 8 week course uh dealing with the theoretical side of things so but I, I would yeah i would recommend maybe trying some conscious methods or um if she does want to focus on on the dreaming type approaches then maybe just write uh write down things as soon as she wakes up or or record them on a dictaphone or something like that you can also uh keeping your eyes closed and not fully waking up when you wake up in the morning and just talking into a dictaphone or something like that straight away is a good way of remembering more of of what you dreamed and uh not uh activating your analytical brain too much too quickly Um, so things like that, but without a bit more detail, it's hard to know exactly what she'd need to do, but I think probably that that would be the best
4: approach. When someone wants to try this, I mean, there's so many different avenues that one can take. Does diet play a role in anything that people do regarding OBEs or is it strictly from within?
5: I, I think that because it's it, it, we are dealing with partly a physical process, You're, you have to get into the right kind of trance-type state um, and the body has to be in a deep state of relaxation and things like that. I think that, of course, uh, diet and, and what you do physically is going to have an effect. We know, for example, that stress levels... Um, will affect how well you sleep or will affect how well you can relax. We know that if you've drunk lots of caffeine just before um, you try to, to go to sleep, probably for many people that's going to interfere with being able to relax and go to sleep. So what we do physically in terms of our diet and things like that do directly impact our our state of mind and things like that those are very literal examples I gave but another example is uh, alcohol uh, in studies has been shown to deaden alpha waves and things like that so things have an effect on on brain state as well as on on your physiology and and your levels of relaxation so if you're trying to learn something, my whole approach with my courses and my books and et a more holistic approach, I I don't divide things up in the sense of, um, oh, you just lay down at the end of the day and try and do a technique for an hour or or you try to do a lucid dreaming method or something like that and you pay no attention to it the rest of the time. That, to me, would be crazy, but that is what most people do. Um so my whole approach with my teaching is to say, let's take a more holistic approach. Let's look at diet. Let's take a, look at um, levels of stress, lifestyle choices, all of these kinds of things. Let's look at how much focus and time is put into spiritual practices or to these different kinds of practices, and let's uh, build a structure based around that. So that's kind of how I... In, in my second book, there's... Um, a profile in, the, in chapter four which basically encourages people to make a, a sort of a plan of themselves what is your life like what are your skills like what are the things you like doing what are the things you dislike doing etc you build up a, a picture of yourself and then from that you create something that is based upon you rather than the one size fits all approach that most Uh, books and methods take so I think you know that's that's a really important uh, thing to do to to sort of base it more upon yourself holistically so in terms of diet I think why not use the best possible option to give us the best possible chance which so I think someone who's really naturally gifted diet's not going to make too much difference because they're already naturally gifted. Um I guess it's a bit like you get people who are naturally they we've all met them they eat whatever they like and they they look great and they look really fit and you know but they can live on on burgers and fries every day. Um most of us aren't like that. Um and I think this is the same with something like our body experiences. Um, so the thing to do is to is to create the best sort of option in terms of diet for for the person um, individually to give them the best chance. So I, I advocate a whole food plant based diet um, for this kind of practice because scientifically it's shown to be the most um, beneficial diet for many, many different things, um, especially um less stress on the body and those kinds of things. So uh, that, by that, I mean lots of greens, um, lots of fruit, lots of, you know, lots of um, healthy whole foods, not not processed things, not junk food, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, I haven't uh, eaten meat since 1992, and I've been vegan for over 11 years. So that's kind of my my uh, dietary setup now but when I say vegan I mean whole food plant based sources
4: the reason why I asked about the diet is when I started getting into my own spiritual understanding a couple of the people who were training me and teaching me in regards to opening up my third eye and and to start accepting more of the of the lack of a better term psychic knowledge or intuitive knowledge into myself was the fact that they had brought up that diet is such an important part, especially giving up meat. The idea behind giving up meat, according to my friends who taught me, was that when you're eating meat and you're trying to go on a spiritual journey, you can actually feel the animal. You take over the energy of the animal you are meeting. Is that just a little too far out there or would you agree with that?
5: Um, possibly. I mean, I think the thing is we, we can make it even simpler than that. I mean, it, we, in order to be produced, it has to involve basically a, a high degree of control and uh, oppression of that animal. And then it has to end in violence. And if we're focused on a kind of spiritual outlook um we simply don't need to do that. So why would we choose to? Um so so taking it on that sort of ethical, spiritual perspective, then yes, there's there's uh there is a problem with that. There is an inherent contradiction in that. Um and you certainly don't need it for for health. I mean I'm I'm living proof of that. Um so, you know, I, I think that it's uh it's a it's a difficult situation to try and justify that, I think, within a spiritual context to continue to um be a part of that um use of animals. Um and yeah, I think obviously most of the sort of Eastern traditions, especially Hinduism, Jainism, those kind of cultures have, have long had a tradition of nonviolence and not using animals. Um But there's also different Western traditions of that as well. There's been some uh, groups within uh, Christian groups who've taken that perspective as well. Uh, Some of the Quakers, for example, the historical peace churches have uh, uh, been uh, vegans or uh, different forms of uh, plant eaters at different points. Um, Leo Tolstoy, for example... Who was a an anarchist christian um he he also had a complete nonviolence philosophy and uh became vegetarian etc. so I do think on on a spiritual level um a more subjective level of course but beyond the beyond that i think it it definitely makes sense within the context of of all this kind of work and also it's an ethical thing. I mean, just because we've always done something doesn't mean that we should uh, continue to always do it. We've changed lots of things about human behaviour because they were abhorrent to us when we really thought about what what was going on. And we just don't need to do those levels of violence and the harm to the environment that the animal agricultural industry does as well. There's so many levels to it. Um, human health... We've got heart disease, diabetes, cancer, at epidemic levels in most of the Western world. And these are directly linked to, to animal foods. So I think, you know, if people really want to develop spiritually, physically and ethically, then it's, it's the right choice, really.
4: What about people who are ingesting GMOs? They're playing with our food. How does not having proper organic food affect the spirituality of an OBE, an N D E or even astral travelling?
5: Um I, I, I don't I don't know what the effect of sort of GMOs and things like that would be. Um I well in where where I am in, in Europe uh we don't really have uh gmos it's not the same sort of situation as in the us and and other parts of the world um but uh yeah i i uh i think it's probably just best to to be on the side of caution with things like that but um i don't i don't know of any direct uh way i could really say what uh what effect it has but there's definitely negative effects from a combination of lifestyle factors, we can say. And I, I think it's uh, I definitely advocate a more health based, uh, wellness based kind of approach to to living and, you know, to to moving away from uh, processed foods, sugary foods, all these all these kinds of things that are kind of unhelpful to us. But again, the same with the other things I've talked about I think we should go by the data, be evidence based, you know, look at what the data says about, um, you know, the latest research into health and uh, the benefits of different ways of living, etc. I think that's the the way to go, because there's so many opinions out there that can actually be sort of completely wrong and they can sound spiritual. For example, you hear a lot about things like brepharianism, which I'm not a fan of I think that it's quite a negative concept because I don't believe that such a thing happens really Um, so it's kind of contradictory to everything we know and why is it spiritual to to not be part of nature and to not like it feels very very anti-natural in a way it it feels very sort of puritanical in a a sort of negative way to me those kinds of attitudes so i think there's a there's a balance to be struck and and it needs to be sort of evidence-based
4: canadian joe has a question for you at hashtag spaced out radio on twitter he is asking graham are there any data points to Pardon me. Is there any data that points to a difference in an induced out-of-body experience as opposed to a natural OBE?
5: As far as I know, um, that hasn't really been studied in any depth. Um, in my own research, uh, if if the if the out-of-body experience is uh, induced in a in a consistent way from a conscious state. Um, it's very similar in all of the markers to a spontaneous um, out-of-body experience. Um, so I haven't seen any clear differences in, in with, the, with the students I've worked with over many, many years. Um, the types of experiences they describe to me that they have through their training are pretty much the same types of experiences that I see in the literature as spontaneous out-of-body experiences. So, I think uh, from my own data, I can say that they're they're very very similar, um, if not identical.
4: Getting back to the food source, we only got about two and a half minutes left here before with the break. We got a lot of Canadians in here. We're wondering about bacon. Does this mean we have to give up our bacon? <laughs> in order to have a better spiritual experience? Because there are certain parts of, of an animal that, you know, we're having a tough time with. <laughs>
5: um, I I guess the answer is yes.
4: <laughs> Damn it! Um, Damn you!
5: <laughs> yeah, I, I never, never had the... People talk a lot about bacon. I remember uh, when I first went vegetarian, people used to say that they could never give up bacon. Um, it, didn't, it wasn't really an issue for me. But um, then, I re- then I remember now it's, it's more common that people say, oh, I could never give up cheese when they talk about veganism. But actually it's very good vegan cheeses now, so it's not, not really an issue anymore.
4: But it's bacon, man. It's bacon. Oh.
5: Just remember, it's a dead pig.
4: <laughs> I know, I, 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 and I understand that. And trust me, I do feel bad about that. I do. But what if we rename bacon a, a plant or something? <laughs> oh, yeah,
5: you're talking to the wrong person. Obviously. I know.
4: I, I'm not going to win this one, am I? No. <laughs> oh, it's killing me. But then again, I, I've literally had to go off meat here for a little bit so uh, for my own health. So anyhow, we'll talk about that one later. we got one hour to go with Graham Nichols, our guest tonight. We're talking out-of-body experiences, astral traveling, and your questions and more. Going into hour number three, if you want to check out Graham's website, I highly suggest you do. Go to GrahamNichols.com. Nichols is spelled N-I-C-H-O-L-L-S.com. It's a great site. And once again, check it out. You might even want to sign up for his course because that would be kind of cool. That's something I'd like to take. We'll get more into Graham's course in hour number three as well. You're listening to Spaced Out Radio. I am your host, Dave Scott. We will be back right after this.
3: The S.O.R. Sightlines is a place for you to find answers to your strange experiences. Hi there, this is Mike Schmidt. If you have had an encounter with ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, ETs, or anything else that doesn't make sense, head to spacedoutradio.com and file a sightlines report. All information you give is 100% confidential, and I will personally help you find the answers you need. S.O.R. Sightlines. Your answers are a click away.
5: Greetings and salutations space travelers from the Chronicles of the Unknown team.
0: What is Chronicles of the Unknown? I keep hearing about this thing.
5: It's a new paranormal reality TV show based right here in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. Follow our team as we uncover claims of activity on the Caribou Gold Rush Trail. You can also follow us here every third Monday where two members of our team will be available to answer your questions. We'll give you some equipment updates and some of our experiences on the road, right here
6: on Spaced Out Radio. Hi there. I'm Butch Wachowski, lead investigator with E4COP. On the final Monday of every month, you can listen to me and host Dave Scott on Spaced Out Radio's Strange Days. We're going to get to the heart of the matter when it comes to what's happening out there. People are seeing and experiencing things from ET contact to Bigfoot, and I want to hear about it. Your experiences are what we investigators need to help solve these unknown mysteries. So tune in at spacedoutradio.com to the final Monday of every month from Butch Witowski's Strange Days.
1: Visit purpleplates.com today. For over 40 years, the Purple Energy Plates have been delivering amazing results for their many customers. Inspired by the great genius Nikola Tesla, the harmony, healing, and energetic effects of the plates have proven over and over to be beneficial and often miraculous to thousands of customers. With their money-back guarantee and the many benefits, how can you afford not to get one? Check their site for daily specials and choose from their many energy products. You won't be sorry. Visit them today at purpleplates.com for mind, body, and spirit. And expect a miracle. This is your medium, Joanna, from Spaced Out Weekend to Mediums and a Large. I would love it if you would come and join us with host James Tyson every other Sunday on Spaced Out Weekend. Together, we will take your calls and your questions live. Our goal is to provide you with a positive outlook on deep questions that you may have. Questions regarding love, relationships, money, or whatever else is on your mind. Come and check us out at spacedoutradio.com.
6: Have you checked out the SOR Spacewire at spaceoutradio.com yet? Every day we post the latest stories regarding the weird, strange, and completely unbelievable. From cryptid and UFO sightings to the conspiracy world, we tackle it all. Hi there, I'm Eric Markham, SpaceOut Radio's news director for the SOR Spacewire. And if you have a story, I want to hear it. Email me at news at spaceoutradio.com.
2: Patrolling the Pacific Northwest, we are always on the lookout for the strange and unassuming stories that real people are experiencing. Hi, I'm Vincent Zunza from Pacific North Weird. Me and Alexandra Sullivan have teamed to bring to you those odd stories that never seem to make it into the mainstream story so weird that we'll leave you scratching your head wondering is this real it's as real as it gets with pacific north weird you can watch our videos right here at spacedoutradio.com
1: become more intimate and interactive with spaced out radio join our space travelers club with your new membership for five dollars a month we'll provide you with special access to the website monthly prize draws from books to psychic readings along with monthly newsletter private interviews and more sign up today to be part of spaced out radio's experience
7: Every month on Spaced Out Radio, we look into the deep and dark reports of cryptids roaming around the world with me, Rob Morphy, from Cryptopia.us. I would love it if you would join me and host Dave Scott as we delve into the most arcane stories and reports regarding creatures of the unknown. My job is to hunt down the details and bring the evidence forward to you. These aren't your regular Bigfoot stories I'm talking about either. You can find out more about crypto history at SpacedOutRadio.com. Looking for a place to advertise at a very reasonable cost? Look no further than Spaced Out Radio. SpacedOutRadio.com has an advertising tab that you can click to check out our daily, weekly, and monthly packages to play on the radio or our website, including social media. From commercial spots to banners, we have it all. Check out our competitive pricing today.
8: Did you know that Spaced Out Radio runs seven days a week? Hi, it's James Tyson from Spaced Out Weekend. Every Saturday and Sunday night, starting at 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern, you can join me and my guests for some great chatter about what's going on out in the universe or even in that dark part of the basement you really don't want to go back into. Well, let's find the answers to your experiences together. So come on up to Uncle Jimbo's cabin on the weekend. For more information, look us up at spacedoutradio.com.
0: And on Facebook, Spaced Out Radio Show. Now, back to the program.
4: Welcome back for the final hour of Spaced Out Radio tonight. Good to have you along for the ride. Tomorrow night on the show, Sean David Morton will be back with us. We are going to be talking... A lot about 2017 and what's coming in the future. We'll get into some mysterious stuff as well. 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern time. The second Tuesday of the month is usually set aside for Samantha Mowitz, the ET experience. However, Samantha lost her father last week, so we're giving her the night off as she mourns the loss of her father. And so I would love it spaced out radio listeners. If you could do me a favor, let's send Samantha mode, a lot of love, a lot of prayers and some really good energy. Cause she could use it right now. And I thank you on behalf of her. We want to thank everyone listening in on the United Public Radio Network, live on 107.7 FM in New Orleans and over 160 countries around the world. Good to have you with us. Down in Las Vegas, yes, Sin City, we know we are tuned right in. What's going on down there, along with Renegade Talk Radio, we appreciate you coming along as well. And if you're listening in on Revolution Radio, remember, the double R machine is a donation station, financed by you, the valued listener. Head on over to freedomslips.com, do us a favor, and donate today. Bill Cardwell has set the password for tonight in the SOR Space Travelers Club. I'm a sucker for punishment, so I'm going to get to this again. Poikilothermism poikilothermism, is your password. I think I got it. Don't know how to use it in a sentence, but that's what Bill does. He tries to throw me a wrench every now and again. That is your SOR Space Travelers Club. Bill sets it each and every night right here on the mighty SOR. Hey, if you want to follow us on social media and take part on Twitter, you can... Tweet me at hashtag, make that at Spaced Out Radio, and use the hashtag Spaced Out Radio as well. You give our Facebook page a like, Spaced Out Radio Show. Follow us on Instagram, Dave Scott SOR. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show. Tune us in on TuneIn and download this show and others on iTunes. And of course, our website is SpacedOutRadio.com. While there, we have a plethora of features for you, including joining the SOR Space Travelers Club, so make sure you do that for only five bucks a month. Tonight, we are talking astral traveling. We're talking out-of-body experiences. I have not had one. I'd like to know what it's like, but we got the expert, the main man when it comes to this, Graham Nichols. His website, grahamnichols.com. Graham, welcome back to the show.
5: Good to be back.
4: Love the fact that you're going the distance, my friend. Love the fact you're going the distance. This is just absolutely fantastic. I really do appreciate you doing this. A lot of people in stories that I've heard without a body experiences, astral travel, have had experiences with extraterrestrials. And knowing what we do on this show, I do have to ask you this. Have you ever had that experience with some sort of off-worlder as you've been in an out-of-body experience, um,
5: not anything that I could say definitely uh, that's what it was. Um, I've had some experiences of what you could say were uh, non-human intelligences of some description. So, but uh, but what I'm trying to say is I couldn't. I couldn't categorize what kind of non-human that was. Were they uh, from a different level of reality or were they from a different planet or that that's very hard for me to, to know uh, what category to put that into. Were they just an aspect of myself on some different level? You know, there's, there's many sort of open questions with that, but in terms of life on another planet, I had one, um, very interesting experience where i went to um, another planet i'm not sure where it was in terms of uh, the universe etc but i was in what was obviously a different planet and i i remember plant life i didn't ha- i didn't come into contact with intelligent life but there seemed to be plant life on this planet and there was a um i have a very vivid uh, mental image of one of the plants that looked kind of like a succulent um, it sort of uh looked like a yeah like a kind of cactus with no spines uh but kind of uh bent over like a big kind of leaf kind of thing um, that that 's uh that 's obviously life on another planet but not maybe what you 're hoping for not. the the kind of intelligent life kind of thing. But I think that many people within the out-of-body experiences will come into contact with these kind of radiant beings of light and energy. And um, many people do interpret those as being like interdimensional or some kind of uh, uh, alien life. Um, But maybe, you know, there's just no way to actually categorize them in that context. But I have definitely encountered uh, those kinds of beings, and I think that they're very common across every culture. That people experience these sort of energetic, I guess, guides is a common name. Some people would call them angels. Some people would call them aliens. I don't, I don't know uh, what their true nature is, I, but that's uh, something that many people describe.
4: The reason why I ask is a lot of people who listen to this show, they have had ET experience, and including myself, where we're all trying to figure out what the heck is really causing this. Are we really seeing what we are seeing? Do you believe, then, that extraterrestrials can get into that spiritual realm?
5: I, I, I just can't answer that. I, d- I don't know, is, is the honest answer to that. I I don't know. I, I haven't had that extraterrestrial experience that you're referring to. So I, I just I don't I don't have any personal experience of it to to reference, really. And I think, as you said yourself, with uh, the people out there trying to explore um, the experiences that have happened to them um, from my reading, I, I mean, I'm not an expert on uh extraterrestrial side of things but from my reading of what i have looked into um it it, it can be a similar thing there's many different theories about what exactly the nature of these beings are whether they're positive whether they're negative whether they're from um another planet whether they're from another dimension etc etc so um to then take that a step further and say okay they they operate on a non-physical level it feels a bit like one one plus one equals 11 or something you know it's it, it i just can't really say uh, honestly
4: have you ever come across people who have had a lot of extraterrestrial experience on their astral traveling or obe
5: um i haven't actually no i haven't come across too many people that have described that. One or two I can think of, Um, but not many, no.
4: I have a question from the audience. This is from one of our newer listeners, Loretta. Well, at least she's new to the chat room. And it's always (laughs) good to see a new face in there, especially when they get involved just like this. I love when that happens. Loretta is asking, have you ever had difficulty re-entering your body afterwards?
5: On on a few very rare occasions, um, it can be difficult. But I think the the real question it is more turn that on its head because what usually becomes the issue for most people is staying out longer. Um, the the difficulty is very rarely getting back into the body. Usually, um, you're you're disappointed because the experience will bring you back to the body much quicker. So. Um, a good percentage of my training with people will be focused on um, extending the experience, teaching them to to develop stability while out of the body so that the experience can last longer. So you can go from a few minutes to 20 minutes to, to, to longer experiences. So um, it's very rare that there's any difficulty with going back to the body because I think our in-body perception is our default perception. It's our default sense of the world. And I think even to think of it in terms of something coming out of the body and then going back to the body quite possibly could be a mistake. I'm not convinced that's actually what's going on at all. As I was mentioning with the consciousness models of what could be going on, um, it could be more like um, you're just changing frequency or you're tuning into a different set of sensory information that's coming from somewhere else or it could be that there's a kind of replica of you but it's not literally like you're a kind of russian doll that needs to slot back into a a physical body i think that's quite a simplistic sort of outdated view of how the whole thing works and i think you know, we, we're sort of moving to, to better models than that now.
4: A couple more questions from our audience, if you don't mind. This one comes from Brian, who is a, who has had astral traveling, lucid dreaming and OBEs. And he is asking Graham, have you ever traveled or flown through a white square opening with black borders during a lucid dream into another world and would that be a portal he has happen- it has happened to him a few times while he was lucid um
5: i don't really lucid dream very often um i'm very bad at it i've done it a handful of times it's not it's not something i'm skilled at um, i focus on out of body experiences um but a portal with a square box with a border i can't think of any experience that that's similar to that but i have passed through portals again i think probably the the look or particular way something unfolds might be very specific to the individual so the fact that it's a square with a border might be specific to 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 him but um but portals in general yeah there are there are many situations where there seems to be an opening from one experience to another. Um, I've had, uh, I used to, like early on, I used to work quite a lot with uh, tap for symbols, which, for example, are um, th- this this way of inducing an OBE where you use a, um, a sort of symbol, just like a red triangle or a, a different colored shape, and you'll focus on that. And then you in your mind's eye, you see it dissolve and become like an opening and then you pass through it. Um, And I've worked with that kind of thing quite a lot. And it can be very interesting because it can initiate an out of body experience in an interesting way. In my second book, I developed that into a sort of three dimensional version. And the three dimensional version is even more powerful in inducing the experiences. Um but it takes some practice to get used to the, the mental trickery that you need to kind of hold that image in your mind. Um, but yeah, as I was as I was mentioning a few times, I think that a lot of these things, there are no universals with this. It's there are different uh subjective personal uh images or 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 structures to things. Um The actual experience itself can be very objective, but the the triggers or the or the ways that you'll move from one place to another or the the way that your body will look or lack of body um the body is only apparent in maybe forty forty percent of out of body experiences, so you know um that means that sixty percent of people are experiencing something else like a sphere or a point or no sense of any anything whatsoever there'll be just like a 360 um visual perception so there's all kinds of different uh forms and i think the way to think of it is our consciousness is creating um a model of the data or the information or the perceptions that it's that it's gaining probably and then it's putting that into some coherent structure that we can understand And I think that's probably what's going on. Um, And so the colors, the shapes, all of those things are the result of how that process happens, which can be quite unique to each individual.
4: A couple more questions here. This one from Eric. He is asking, what is the chance of coming back to find your body has been taken over?
5: I I lost you then for a second. What is the chance of
4: what is the chances of coming back to your body only to find it has been taken over
5: um probably zero <laughs> um, I've never heard of that ever happening not not one occurrence personally
4: and Mario has a question while doing an out-of-body experience is it possible to cut the cord and not return
5: um we're getting into the the realm of the sort of superstitions here i think um as i just mentioned with with the whole thing of coming back to the body so the last question and this question have a sort of relationship um the thing of coming back to the body and finding it taken over is based on the idea that something is actually leaving the body and it's somehow left empty and then something can jump in which is your this sort of russian doll idea that i mentioned Um, the problem with that is if you really think about it in a logical way or or you don't even have to be that logical, but if you think about it, is it, does it really make sense that your body would be like an empty thing and then something can just come and jump into it? I think that outer body experiences are no different to something like a deep meditation or, or sending your consciousness into an expanded state I don't think you're leaving your body completely empty like a shell. I think that you're expanding your awareness beyond it. So that's, I think that's why things like that don't really make a lot of sense. That's dealing with, that's a very sort of old, old fashioned sort of idea. Like I was saying that the Russian doll model doesn't really stand up. There's not really much evidence that that's the case. Um, and I've never encountered anyone who claims that that's ever happened. Um, And even if they did, I would, you know, want to see some sort of proof that that really did take place and wasn't just some uh, hallucination that they had. But I've never even heard of a hallucination. So Um, then uh, the silver cord, the silver cord, again, is a bit of a superstition. People do um, make this very clear. They do sometimes see the silver cord. Uh, I've been misquoted before as saying the silver cord doesn't exist in the sense of people don't see it. They do see it, but I think that it probably isn't real. I think that probably what's happening is it's just some kind of belief system or it's some kind of uh, feeling that you're, um, you know, that it makes you feel better or whatever. Um, If you go back to some of the early literature Silver cords occurred maybe in around the level of around 10% of descriptions. Um, the most recent research, um, it was down to about 2%. Um, in my own research, it was zero, uh, zero occurrences of the silver cord in any of the descriptions. So I think the silver cord, it's something that was believed and maybe because people believed in it, they would on occasion see it. Um but in actual fact it's almost never seen. As I as I said in the most recent study, um it it was it was zero. Um and I think the, the study before that it was two percent something along along those lines. Um and, and that's if you if you go to the parapsychology, if you go to the actual science where they're doing the, the research, you'll find that that's that's the case. So, um, again, if you read the more New Age esoteric literature, they'll talk about the silver cord all the time and they'll assume that it's real and blah, blah, blah. But that's not my approach. I, I don't I'm not interested in what people.
4: I think we just lost Graham I think we just lost him we'll try and get him back here momentarily as Skype seems to be having a little bit of an issue right now as it is kicked on out we're gonna get Graham back here right now gotta love Skype when that happens let's get this thing going here again It might be all these storms that people are having right now. We're going to try and get Graham back. Give me two seconds here. And that is not working. Graham, are you there? Can you hear me? We were just getting into some good stuff here. We're going to try this again. We'll try and get Graham back on. Oh, there's Graham right there. Graham, how you doing?
5: I'm doing good. Sorry, I seem like we got cut off.
4: Yeah, Skype decided to go into one of its uh, little glitches here.
5: Yes. Uh, it's not It's not as good since Microsoft took over. It was better when it was pure Estonian.
4: Yeah, for sure. For sure. i got to try and uh, reconnect with the revolution radio speaker here so i'm gonna quickly call you right back here so give me like two seconds okay okay and for our listeners we're just going to reconnect with absolutely everything back here momentarily as we try and get everything back moving the way it is supposed to on this show sometimes it's a little bit of a pain in the butt This Skype thing drives me crazy. There we go. We got back on Revolution Radio. We're still with UPRN and Renegade Talk Radio as well. Now we'll get Graham Nichols back in here along the lines as he connects up with us here momentarily. Graham, are you there? I am, yes. There we go. I apologize about that. I do. Sometimes, like you said, Skype can be a little bit of a pain in the butt sometimes. But it's, a, it's got an ego, let's be honest. It's got an ego, but that's okay. You were speaking right before the break in regards to the experiences people have. I would love to get into some of the experiences that you have dealt with. But first, I, I want to get to one more question, and this is from Bill in the SOR Space Travelers Club. He is asking you, Graham, I have heard that some people report some beings that can interrupt your astral body and try and cause you harm. Is this true?
5: Um, no, uh, I don't believe in astral bodies or silver cords or demons or negative stuff. Um, I, I take it as a, as we're dealing with, um, something much more inherent to human consciousness and i take everything from a scientific approach that we need to we need to um, we need to find out what's going on um and things like astral bodies are well originates in ideas like theosophy where they talked about the etheric body the causal body the astral body etc um I, I took the pers- pers- perspective that okay we need to establish whether any of these are actually true. Um at the time etheric ideas ideas of um that we needed an ether to understand the nature of physics ideas like that were very common so that was that was just a, a popular concept at, at the time. Um Yet they've stayed, they've gone from philosophy into mainstream sort of New Age beliefs and it's continued and we now have a kind of sort of New Age religion of belief in these kinds of things. Um, I think that we need to actually question that. Are they actually real? Um, when we look at the evidence related to our body experiences, do they suggest that there is an astral body, and the evidence actually suggests no. It suggests more that we're dealing with some kind of consciousness that is extended beyond the body. Um, There hasn't been any real uh, data showing any kind of physicality or any kind of, uh, you know, set sense of a body. As you go through the process of having more out-of-body experiences and your sense of self breaks down, um so you no longer identify strongly with the physical body what happens is you lose uh this uh, pattern this structure of having a physical body in the experience um and you move more towards just being a kind of consciousness um some people go straight even to being the kind of consciousness as i mentioned only about 40 percent of people even see a body um 40 to 60 depending on the study but it's still you're talking in the region of half of the people have something else they don't experience a body at all so we can't make assumptions that there is any kind of astral body or anything like that i think we need to step outside of all of that stuff um and Actually, kind of move forward and try and understand what really might be going on. I think one of the reasons to do that as well is because if we take a lot of the questions that have been asked now, it, a lot of the last few questions have all been based around fears to do with negative entities and negative things. That's really unhelpful and really harmful to someone who wants to learn to have this experience because in over 30 years of having out-of-body experiences I have not had a single experience that could go into that category yeah it's one of the most common questions that people ask me and that's very frustrating for me because I find that we're dealing with this situation where there's all these belief systems that are just lies and rubbish and it's just not true and it just holds people back I don't want people to be riddled with fears when they come to me. But they should look at the outer body experience much the same as they look at meditation. It's a way of developing, it's a way of opening your consciousness, it's a way of expanding. There is nothing at all negative ever about the experience.
4: Let's talk about people's experiences and what they go through. Because I think for all of us who are on a very tight learning curve here tonight Graham we have no clue of what goes on I would love it if you could share an experience or two with us
5: okay well the I guess the experiences can range from from very simple but also very beautiful through to completely cosmic and transformative so I'll start with um, an experience that comes to mind that always all, all, always reminds me of how beautiful the experience can be in its simplicity it was an experience i had um where i went to well basically during the day i'd been to the new forest a forested part of england um and we'd been travelling all day we drove for hours to get back again um we did the whole trip in in kind of one day just went for the day and I came back to london where i was living at the time and I hit the bed, and almost as soon as I hit the bed, kind of exhausted after the day of travelling, I found myself just out of my body. I just went straight out of body. And then I found myself drifting um, over treetops. All I could see underneath was all these treetops. And I was basically back where I'd been during the day, watching all of the, the trees and the nature all around me. And then I descended down, um, into a kind of clearing among the trees, and there was a just a flower that sort of caught my attention as I was coming down and I focused on it, and as I focused on it, I started to see into it rather than just the surface of it and I could see all of the the life moving through it, the sustenance the the fluids moving up and down the stem I could see the the, the sort of essence of the life of that. Um, and it was a completely powerful, sort of moving, beautiful experience that I was just having looking at a plant. Nothing dramatic, nothing um, particularly kind of um, transcendent in many ways. But it was so poignant and subtle and beautiful at the same time. So that that's an example of something very simple that can be actually com- completely profound when experienced within the context of an out of body experience. Um, then on a more dramatic level, I've had, um, experiences like, uh, a few years ago, I had an OBE where I, um, found myself again, I didn't really have a sense of leaving the body. I just found myself out of body, but I found myself in the upper atmosphere of the earth and I was looking down at the curvature of the earth. I could see, uh, the earth rotating. I could see the, um, upper atmosphere, kind of moving um, into the distance. I could see what seemed like the slight rotation. I could see the continents. I could see the, the the rich blue of the kind of oceans. I could see so much just from this vantage point. And I was just kind of hanging there in the atmosphere, like in space, um, with this sense of this huge expanse of uh, darkness, uh, of space behind me. Um, and again, a completely stunning and and emotional and powerful experience to be um to essentially be outside of the planet, to go into space, to have that experience. Which, in in many senses, we think that we need rockets and and you know and spacesuits and things like that to do to have an experience like that, to be somewhere like that. But in a sense, if we take control of our own ability to have these experiences we can we can directly experience something like that in that way um uh then i've then i, I mentioned things like the shared death experience or experiences that, that seem to confirm the afterlife so i've had another example of that um was a kind of uh, summerland kind of environment. Um, You've probably heard that in many cultures and many near-death experiences, people will describe going to the first level that they go to is this uh, really beautiful, stunning environment of natural beauty. Um, And in one experience where I did feel that I was leaving my body, I came out of my body, uh, went up in sort of, it felt like I went from this reality and this reality sort of peeled away and I just drifted into this other reality. And then the next thing I saw is kind of grass, um, that again had this sort of intense light radiating from it. Um, all the greens and all the colors and the blues and the reds and everything was super vivid. It was like way beyond anything I've ever seen with my physical eyes. Um, so, the colours were beyond that, but also this sense of light everything was alive, everything had light um and I was in this the most beautiful nature that you've ever seen essentially um and there were figures uh people I remember by a by a stream um there were some figures, and they seemed to have been people who'd passed over. They looked like auric their their forms were um they had no skin or clothes or anything like that they just seemed to be sort of energy like auric forms like colors um and things like that and uh but they did they did we seemed to communicate in a kind of telepathic way and there was this sense that they'd uh, they'd passed over and that they were on that kind of level any subjective experience I can't uh verify that one in any sense but that's an e- example of those kind of other types of levels and then I guess finally to bring it back to reality a little bit then there's the more sort of solid verified experiences one fairly recent one of that I had in Tallinn was uh where I um was able to uh come out of body um I remember the process of coming out of body. I went uh out of the window I went up over one of the the, the churches that 's near to where I was living at the time in Tallinn, and then I went into the main square uh, town hall square, the main square of of tallinn and I watched them setting up for for Christmas for the Christmas market. They were hoisting um, they were hoisting one of the 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 fir tree into position for for the Christmas celebrations and things like that, and I watched all of this from above um and then drifted over the the old city it's a medieval old city unesco world heritage site where I live and then I moved back to my physical body and I literally got straight up, got dressed, went out into this into the street and walked to the main square and found that exactly what I'd seen was taking place at that exact moment. So I had like literal verification. So that's an example of the sort of more veridical, the more solid verified ones. So that's kind of a, a guide through the whole spectrum of amazing kinds of experiences and then they can even go to this completely abstract transcendent experiences where you feel that you you are connected with every mind or every consciousness in in the universe so they can be completely meditative and transformative healing all of those things as well
4: a couple questions coming in from our audience regarding this and that would be from Corey. You call the experience out of body. How does...
5: Um, it does not prove that there's an astral body. It just proves that um, there's perception at another location, which an expanded consciousness. Um, for example, with remote viewing, people view things at a remote location, but they're not leaving the body when they do that. They're just psychically doing it. So... Um, that's not a contradiction to me that means that their consciousness their awareness is able to perceive things an outer body experience could be a very immersive way of doing that it could be something like a virtual reality um, experience Um, some physicists think that our physical reality is a virtual reality it feels to us like it's physical but we all know that it's actually energy that most of the world around us, the atoms, etc., are empty space. We, we know this from physics, yet we feel like everything is very solid. We can knock on the desk and say, this is solid. My body feels solid, etc., etc. We know that isn't really the case. Um, when we get down into the science, when we break um, through our assumptions, And I think that part of the spiritual practice of of all things is to get beyond our assumptions, get beyond um, beliefs and and things that may not be true and try to try to get to the core of things, try to get to the truth. So that's that's how I look at it. So I don't categorically say there is or there isn't anything. Um, There may well be an astral body, but um, at this point in time, I, I don't know for sure if that's the case.
4: Loretta has a question coming up here, and she is asking Corey, have you ever experienced gatekeepers blocking your consciousness from expanding into certain realms?
5: Um, no, I, I can't say I have.
4: Get to another question then from John on Twitter at hashtag spacedoutradio. Graham, can you influence your heart and respiration rates when you meditate? Um that's a good
5: question. Um I I don't know to what degree that's possible. I'd need to I'd need to get someone to wire me up and and to monitor monitor that. I'm not I'm not sure without um checking. I've never done an experiment on that, but that would be very interesting to know for sure. Um it's uh I'm very interested in all these kinds of experiments and doing things like that and that's why I'm always very keen to get involved in parapsychology and things like that. Um, a couple of years ago, I, I went to the Institute of Noetic Sciences in, in California and did some experiment, uh, did an experiment with Dean Radin on, uh, affecting the quantum double split exper- double slit experiment using only psychic ability, um, which had positive results. And, um, that experiment was interesting because i like to i like to take part in these things and actually see if i can directly have some kind of effect or see if these things uh work within the laboratory so um it'd be very interesting to do something like that i did contact michael persinger who does research in canada as well and i was quite interested to work with him but at that time he was more focused on remote viewing but um yeah, I, I I find all of those kinds of things, those questions really fascinating.
4: When it comes to meditation on how to get yourself prepared for this, could you walk us through what you do to prepare for an out-of-body experience and that maybe it's easy enough for some of us to experience it as well?
5: Um well I think I think the process is a is a holistic one as I mentioned it's it's uh the mistake is to focus on techniques I think the best advice I could give anyone listening to this show is is not to focus on techniques what most people do I see this almost on a daily basis is they want to learn to have an outbody experience so they go online and they google uh out of body techniques they read somebody's technique and some description of someone who is successful at that particular technique. And then they'll start practicing it uh, a couple of weeks later. They're disheartened because they haven't got anywhere with it. And, and that's that. Um, I think the reason for that is because techniques work when the technique is the correct technique for the individual. The selection process is what's key. It's not, necessarily about the technique as such it's about whether that technique suited to you i use an extremely simple process usually Um, simply just uh focusing on a particular point in my in my room and then shifting my consciousness out of body or or shifting my awareness um, away from the physical body getting out of my default uh body awareness now that's quite simple for me now after years and years and years of practice. Um so, but the difference the difference between someone who can initiate the experiences quite consistently, and I don't claim to do it at will, I think that's a complete myth. Um that whole thing about doing it at will is is very misleading to people as well. Um because it suggests that you can do it just like flipping a switch. And I don't think anyone does that all of the major authors that I've spoken to, William Bjorman, um, all different people that I've encountered over the years. Um, when you break it down, when you talk to them, when, when I say, do you do it like me or do you do it? Or is it like flipping a switch for you? And they'll say, I do it like you. It's more of a process. It's more of a finding the conditions, making sure that the conditions are conducive to the experience. So the first thing is selecting the right methodology for you. The, the, the other aspect of this more holistic approach that I take in my teaching is to do it in a way that you look at diet, you look at stress levels, you look at lifestyle, you include other new things, complementary practices. The way to think about it, if you're learning to be an athlete, you wouldn't just Say you wanted to be a sprinter, you wouldn't just sprint all the time. Sprinters do weight training, they do, um, you know, other forms of exercises, they even do long distance running, you know, they do different things as part of their training. Um, It's the same with something like OBEs. You need to have complementary practices, and that's uh, getting into something like meditation my focus is is I practice Zazen or um, Soto Zen uh, practice, no mind, uh, still mind Zen meditation. That's the practice that I find helps me to gain a sort of uh, calmness and stability and focus within what I'm doing. And that's uh, the best methodology for me. Um, it might not be the best methodology for everyone, but I definitely think that zazen or Zen meditation is worth looking at in terms of the options for for meditation. Um, but yeah, my my uh, I can't really re- uh, cover everything, but yeah, uh, my courses and my books, uh, as well as the private tuition.
4: Do you find it takes a toll on your body?
5: No, I find the opposite. I find that it's uh, a benefit. I find that um, I, for example, I, I just I just had a cold recently, and I calculated that it was the first time I'd had a cold in five years. Um, so that gives you an idea. It gives you. I mean, I, I'm sure my diet um, and all of that helps as well with the fact that, um, well, I last visited a doctor for any, any like condition in 1992 when I had food poisoning. So that gives you an idea of like my health level. I have no fillings in my teeth. I, uh, you know, I have almost perfect health. So, um, when you put that into when you put that into context I think that the outer body experiences play a role in that I think that they give me this increased energy they they' they're very healing they're very um, they're, they're almost it's almost like if you believe in something like Reiki or those kinds of energies ki Chi uh, prana those different kinds of energies it's almost like an outer body experience is a way of directly connecting with those things. So, I think that it's a it's a healing experience
4: mm. when it comes to regular people who aren't used to this happening, how will they know the signals? What should they watch out for
5: um that that's that, that's something that um has to be worked with i think through through like teaching i i'm not sure you can answer that in that way because it's not it's not generic i can't give a generic answer for you know for everyone because it is different for different people i mentioned earlier the transitional stages um They tend to have an electrical quality to them. People will just use words like electrical current, rushing, tingling, these kinds of words, buzzing. Um, things like that tend to be signs. But the thing, the thing to think of is, um, as you go through the process of inducing an experience, there's a, there's a breaking down of your sense of, of the body. Um, and then you get these shifts in, in the body, you start to get shifting and vibrating, um, feeling that you're floating, You're feeling that you no longer have a certain part of your body, etc. etc.
4: That has to be the oddest feeling. We're coming down to the final seven, eight minutes of the show. I would love it if you could introduce your teachings to the crowd on your courses, what they're about, how people can sign up for it.
5: Okay, well the 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 main uh, I have two courses on on my website which are um self-paced online courses that people can sign up for at any time. Um they're currently on 50% discount as well. Um the the course is called the Navigator course. Um my second book is called Navigating the Out-of-Body Experience. So this is taking the book kind of as the manual and the course is uh then takes all of that much further and into much, much more detail and makes it much more specific for the individual and also adds in what I've developed since the writing of the book over the last sort of five years or so. Um, So the, uh, the, the navigator course, the the first one is five weeks long and it's purely based on the practical. So that course is, is the sort of, if you really want to learn to get out of body quickly and effectively That course is is designed to to teach you to do it over five weeks. Um, So you do one class a week. It gives you a a goal and a um, a set of things to do each week and you develop over that time scale and uh, that's, that's the way that course is structured. It's based upon this holistic approach. It teaches you to understand the mechanisms behind all of the techniques so that you're not just focused on... Um, taking a technique that you've read online or something and you don't really understand what the process behind the technique is, what it's trying to do. Well, I go into a lot of detail in in what the techniques are actually trying to achieve, what the mechanisms are, why they're designed in that particular way, what is their, their, their purpose. And then the, one of the good things about understanding that is then you can also refine the techniques for yourself you can create your own technique you can um take my techniques combine them together so there's there's uh, lots of approaches there then i also use this um, categorization with the techniques So i use visual techniques physical techniques um, sound approaches like my infraliminal sound which is a sound technology that helps you induce the out of body experience via the vibrational state that's also available on my website. Uh, there's a link in for uh, on my website, um, and then uh, also um, the dietary things and the more holistic approach in that sense as well. So I go into all the detail of that and recommend different resources and books and things on that level as well so that's the the sort of five-week course it's all very very practically focused then if you want to learn more about the physics and the science as well as the practical the eight-week course adds in um, extra lectures from Anthony Peake um, who I think has been on your show and he's uh, he's more of a um, more of a theoretical person his whole uh, basis is uh, trying to work out what might be going on in terms of the physics and the science and um, those kinds of things so he's also the author of uh, the Outer Body Experience so he's he's featured in, in the 8 week course so you get me teaching you the techniques and the practical stuff one week and then him teaching the theoretical stuff the other week and with both the courses you get access to them when, as whenever you want and you can rewatch them and watch them in different order if you want and things like that um and and they can be downloaded as well so you know but you can watch them on the streaming site and things like that so that's the that's basically the the courses and like i say they're on 50% off and i also do personal one-to-one training which is probably my favorite way of teaching because that way I can guide you with the specifics of what you need as a person. Like I said, everyone's different. Everyone has unique qualities. So it's it's important to understand the details of that person in order to get the best results. Um, oh, and also the, the online courses also come with, with support. So... Um, if people have questions and things like that, they can fire off a question as part of the course and get that answered as well. So it's it's interactive as well.
4: I want to slip in a couple more questions from our audience, if you don't mind, as time is winding down. This one comes sure. from John at hashtag Out Radio on Twitter. Graham, do you use any certain type of music or white noise to help you meditate?
5: Well, as I mentioned, I use infraliminal sound, which is my own technology that I developed um, many years ago by looking at my own brainwaves and then trying to affect uh, my brainwaves with sound. Um, I worked with a psychiatrist for for a while and, and some other people to try and develop that because I didn't have I didn't have any success personally with things like binaural beats. They didn't do anything for me at all. Um, they just made me feel kind of relaxed, but that was it. Um, and I, I found that when I went into the vibrational state, the first stage of going into an out-of-body experience for me, um, I had certain brainwave uh, patterns, which I then found that when we, when we use different sounds, I could replicate um, that that basic uh, brain pattern, that brainwave, and help to induce the vibrational state. So I worked on that sound. Well, I started in 1998 with my first immersive structures. I, we didn't really talk about that, but I've also developed uh, technology, virtual reality technology, immersive structures, um, and things like that early on. Um, and the first one I built was a large-scale steel structure with a central platform that the person was suspended on, and that had an early form of the infraliminal sound in 1998. And I continued to develop it up until I think the latest version is from 2011. So um, it's a it's a big time frame that I've worked on that, and it has a very high success rate with inducing the vibrational state it's in the kind of 90% level
4: i got about 60 seconds for this next question, this one comes okay. from Catherine she is asking, while under an OBE, Graham have you ever been in one location but then pulled or summoned into another location or white room?
5: I've definitely uh, gone from one location to another I mentioned in the, uh, the Soho experience how I was in um, a natural foresty kind of environment and then it split the experience kind of and I was I was I guess pulled into a into a different location completely into central London um, Not a white room but I've definitely been pulled into or shifted from one location to another
4: Graham thank you so much for being on space out radio tonight I really appreciate your time this evening here. Early morning for you. You hold on one second. I'm just going to wrap this thing up. If you're listening in on the Spaced Out Radio side, you hear Mr. Ron Bumblefoot-Thall, formerly of Guns N' Roses, currently of Art of Anarchy, rocking us out. Bumblefoot brings us in and out of every show as the official music of The Mighty S.O.R. We want to thank everyone listening in, no matter where you are and the participation from our chatters in the chat room. Good to have you along with us tonight. Remember, you can catch this show and others on our YouTube channel, Spaced Out Radio Show, on TuneIn at Spaced Out Radio, and on iTunes at Spaced Out Radio as well. Tomorrow night on the program, Sean David Morton, 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern Time. Thank you so much for being with us. Love having you all here. We will be here right this hot seat in exactly 21 hours from now. Do us a favor. Tell a friend. Let's grow this 25,000-person audience. Help us out. You have a good one, everyone. We'll talk to you soon. Good night.